listeners, Pam Skinner here, welcoming you to the Combined Chester and Flincher Talking Newspaper Edition, a week beginning Friday the 8th of February. Did you remember that this was a leap year, with an extra day in February? I had to remind myself why this happens every four years. So, my internet search button came to the rescue, and not for the first time this week. It seems... An astronomical year lasts slightly less than 365 and a quarter days. In 45 BC, yes, 45 BC, Julius Caesar introduced his simple rule for leap years, adding a leap day every four years, the so-called Julian calendar. This historic calendar has three years of 365 days, followed by a leap year of 366 days, by extending February to 29 days rather than 28 days. However, the Julian calendar was off by 11 minutes every solar year. Enter the Gregorian calendar, introduced in 1582, the world's most widely used civil calendar, to remedy the small error in the Julian algorithm. It works the same as the Julian calendar, except that the leap year is skipped when the year is divisible by 100 and not divisible by 400. For example, the years 2000 and 2400 are leap years, but not 1700, 1800, 1900, 2100, 2200 and 2300. Only four countries have not adopted the Gregorian calendar. Afghanistan and Iran, which used the solar hijri calendar, Ethiopia used the Ethiopian calendar, and Nepal, Vikram Sambat, and Nepal Sambat. The internet is a great tool, and I usually find the results of my searches interesting, but the volume of information produced sometimes overloads my ageing brain, and now we have access to AI, artificial intelligence programmes like ChatGPT, to do even more of the heavy lifting. I'm probably at risk of blowing my mind completely. But I'll think about that tomorrow. Meanwhile, back to leap years. It's thought that the year with the extra day is called leap because the day of the week leaps over a day in the year following February the 29th. For example, Christmas Day, 25th of December, fell on a Friday in 2020 Saturday in 2021, Sunday in 2022, and Monday in 2023. But then we'll leap over Tuesday to fall on a Wednesday in 2024. In Ireland and Britain, it's a tradition that women may propose marriage only in leap years. Nobody really knows why. There are many theories. And there are traditions in other countries too. In Greece, for example... Marriage in a leap year is considered unlucky. And in Finland, the tradition is that a man, if, if a man refuses a woman's proposal on leap day, he should buy her the fabrics for a skirt. I'm told that a person born on February the 29th may be called a leapling or a leaper. I've always felt sorry for people born on February the 29th. Do they only celebrate every four years? or on February the 28th, or March the 1st, most years. I know what I'd do. 
and I don't need any help from the internet. My liking for chocolates would guide me. A simple solution that rarely fails. Sunrise in Chester on Sunday the 10th of March will be at the 6.36am. Sunset at 6.07pm. Now for some local news items and articles for you. In the wake of a fire caused by a tumble dryer in Flintshire over the weekend, North Wales Fire and Rescue Service has issued an appeal to homeowners, emphasising the critical importance of white goods safety. The fire service was called to a property in Buckley just after 7.30pm on Sunday the 3rd of March. The fire involving a tumble dryer resulted in interior and exterior fire damage and 100% smoke damage. Crews from Buckley, Deeside and Mould attended the scene. The incident and a second similar one in Ruthin fortunately resulted in no injuries. The fire service has highlighted the potential dangers associated with household appliances, particularly tumble dryers, when they're not used or maintained properly. Several precautionary measures are recommended to ensure the safe use of one of these essential devices. Among those measures are adherence to the manufacturer's instructions, the importance of registering your appliance for updates on any faults or recalls, and the necessity of working of a working smoke alarm in every home. They suggest, never leave appliances unattended. Don't turn the tumble dryer on before you leave the house or go to bed. Tumble dryers contain very powerful motors with fast-moving parts, and they get very hot. Keep your dryer well ventilated. Make sure the vent pipe is kink-free and not blocked or crushed in any way. Always clean out the filter after every time you use your tumble dryer. Always allow each drying programme, including a cool-down cycle, to complete fully before emptying the machine. If you stop the machine mid-cycle, the clothing will still be hot. Never ignore warning signs. If you can smell burning or clothes feel hotter at the end of the cycle, stop using your appliance and have it checked out by a professional. And they've also reminded us of a tumble dryer recall. Whirlpool UK Appliances Limited has issued a product recall of tumble dryers not yet modified from consumers' homes. This announcement followed an intervention on the 4th of June 2023 by the Government Office for Product Safety and Standards, which informed Whirlpool of its intent to serve a recall notice. If you have a tumble dryer from Whirlpool, Hotpoint, Indesit, Creda, Swan or Proline that was made between 2004 and 2015, you are advised to unplug it and not use it and then contact the helpline on 0800-151-095, who should be able to advise you if it is a model with a known fault. So that's unplug the machine, don't use it, contact the helpline on 0800-151-0905. Hello, it's Carol here. Rail fares in England and Wales rise by nearly 5%. Rail fares in England and Wales are rising by nearly 5%, despite train cancellations being among the highest levels for 10 years. Public transport campaigns claim passengers are being punished and will be angry at Sunday's price hikes. 
the equivalent of 3.9% of services in England and Wales were cancelled in the year to February the 3rd. PA News Agency analysis of office and rail, rail and road figures, ORR, show that it is narrowly below the worst performance of 4.1% in records dating back to 2014. Reliability has been hit by several factors in recent months, including strikes, infrastructure faults and severe weather. The rise could see flexi-season tickets for travel between Liverpool and Manchester on two days per week over a year, rising by £92.60p, from £1,890 to £1,982.60p. Chris Page, who chairs Pressure Group Rail Future, said, Why are rail passengers being punished year after year with inflation-busting fare rises? No matter that there's a cost-of-living crisis, no matter that we're facing a climate emergency, the government seems more determined than ever to price us off the railway and onto the roads. Labour Shadow Transport Secretary Louise Haig said, This price rise will be tough for passengers to stomach, given the shocking state of rail services up and down the country. Since coming to power in 2010, the Tories have hiked fares by almost twice as much as wages and now passengers are being asked to pay more for less. Campaign for Better Transport Campaigns Manager Michael Solomon Williams said, At a time when we urgently need to encourage people to take the train, the public will rightly be angry to discover it's just become even more expensive to do so. We know that people will decide to drive or fly if the train is too expensive. So this is bad news for our personal finances, the wider economy and the environment. Rail Minister Hugh Merriman said last month that the UK government had attempted to split the balance between the UK taxpayer and the fare payer in relation to fare rises, which he described as being well below inflation. ORR figures show that Westminster administration provided £4.4 billion of funding to train operators in Britain in the year to the end of March 2023. Last July's retail price index measure of inflation, which is traditionally used to determine annual fare rises, was 9%. The consumer prices index, which is more commonly used, Inflation figure was 6.8% in July 2023, but fell to 4% in January. The UK and Welsh governments set the cap for rises in regulated fares of 4.9%. These include season tickets on most commuter journeys, some off-peak return tickets on long-distance routes, and flexible tickets for travel around major cities. Train operators set unregulated fares such as advanced signals, although their decisions are heavily influenced by the government due to contracts introduced because of the coronavirus pandemic. Rises in these fares are expected to be similar to those for regulated fares. The Scottish Government will increase ScotRail fares by 8.7% from April the 1st. Flincher Council is proposing a shake-up of its waste strategy after being threatened with a fine of around £1 million for failing to meet Welsh Government targets. The devolved government currently expects local authorities to achieve a recycling rate of 64%, a goal which Flincher has missed 
during the last two financial years. Reduced black bin collections or storing rubbish in smaller containers are among the proposals outlined to improve recycling rates. Councillors previously resisted a switch to a three-weekly bin collection from the current fortnightly arrangement due to concerns over how it would impact residents. However, with the government's recycling target set to increase to 70% for the next financial year, council officials have now said that further measures are needed. The warning was made despite reservations being expressed over some of the proposals at a meeting of backbench councillors to discuss the strategy on Tuesday the 6th of March. Highlighting the council's efforts to meet the target, Ruth Tully, the authority's regulatory services manager, said, We've done door-knocking exercises, we've provided information with regards to what can and cannot be recycled and what the expectation is. We ensured that people have the correct containers so they can actually recycle in full. What we haven't seen is a significant behavioural change that has led us to be able to achieve the statutory recycling targets. One of the key aspects which we know makes significant change to that performance is restriction of the residual waste collection. The Council recently held a consultation on the strategy, which received more than 5,300 responses. While most people supported measures to improve recycling rates, views were split on plans to either reduce the frequency of collections or make the black bins smaller. The Welsh Government's Minister for Climate Change has yet to decide whether to fine the Council over its previous failures to meet targets. Data published by the authority shows that 58% of the waste currently put into black bins by residents in Flintshire could have been recycled. In 2022-23, that figure equated to 13,410 metric tonnes of material that could have been recycled, of which just under half was food waste. A further report will be presented to the committee in June, outlining the Council's move to a restricted capacity waste collection service in more detail. Hello, this is Chris talking to you today. Chester Health Store to close its doors after 10 years. A health store in Chester will shut up shop after 10 years. Situated on the historic Chester Rose on 59 Bridge Street Row, it will close in April. Nikki Davis of Chester Health Store posted on her business page on social media, sad to say, but I'm closing the shop next month. It's just not financially advisable, viable to have a shop on the high street. So going forward, I'll be doing supplements and body care and essential oils from the website. And before anybody mentions greedy landlords, my landlady has been absolutely amazing and very supportive. It's been a brilliant 10 years in Chester and I thank you all so much for supporting me. Hope to see many of you before then. Customers and Facebook users congratulated Nikki on her 10 years in the city. One person wrote, 10 years is absolutely amazing. Can't wait to see what you achieve next. Another said, sorry to hear you are closing, but wish you all the best for the future. And another posted, so sorry to hear that you have closed, 
but so hard for businesses these days, wishing you all the best for the future. Man charged over £10,000 worth of burglaries at Chester shops. Detectives investigating two burglaries in Upton, Chester, have charged a man in relation to the incidents. Stephen Moores was arrested on Thursday, February the 29th, after officers conducted a warrant in Stockport. The 34-year-old of Brecon Towers, Blackbury Lane, Stockport, has since been charged with two counts of burglary uh, uh, other than a dwelling. He has been remanded in custody and was sent to appear at Chester Magistrates Court on Friday the 1st of March. He is accused of stealing £10,000 worth of cigarettes and stamps from Tesco's Express and £446 from the nearby Bernardo's Charity Shop in Western Grove, Upton, in the early hours of Monday, November the 20th last year. Probe into fire at former restaurant in Ellesmere Port. Cheshire Fire and Rescue Services said the incident occurred in an outbuilding at the former Saffron Indian Restaurant and the Excess Nightclub on Flat Lane in Ellesmere Port on the evening of Saturday the 2nd of March. Two fire engines were called to tackle the blaze shortly before 7pm. Firefighters wearing breathing apparatus used a whole reel water jet to extinguish a fire involving the roof space of an outbuilding measured approximately 30 metres square. A Cheshire Fire and Rescue spokesman said a thorough check of the main building was carried out and there were no signs of it having spread. Crews were at the scene for more than three hours and the building was re-secured. Anyone with information about how the fire has been started should call police on 101. A flincher mother has been put behind bars for her part in a terrifying street robbery over money. Nicola Garner of Holly Court, Connors Quay, appeared at Mould Crown Court on Wednesday morning for sentence. The 27-year-old, who appeared via video link from Her Majesty's Prison Style, had been found guilty after a trial of robbery. Max Safman, prosecuting, told the court that the offence took place on the 17th of July 2022 at Hollywell. The complainant, Thomas Lloyd, had known Garner for around four years when he arranged to buy crack cocaine from the defendant's boyfriend, Damien Morris. Mr Lloyd was told to go to a pathway in Hollywell where he met Garner and Morris. He then felt a heavy blow, believed to have been from a wooden bat, fell to the floor, got up and tried to run, but Garner ran after him and tripped him up. Morris caught up and kicked the complainant to the face while the defendant knelt on him, shouting, Where's the money? Mr Lloyd lost consciousness, and he came around when a member of the public helped him up, by which time his money had been taken. The complainant suffered significant physical injury, including a dislocated shoulder and displaced fracture of the upper arm, which required surgery. In his impact statement, he said he'd been told that he would never fully recover the use of his arm following that damage. Garner and Morris were arrested the day after the robbery, but a decision to charge the pair was not made by the CPS until some eight months later, the court heard. By that time, Morris had died. 
His death came as a result of sepsis in February 2023. Judge Rhys Rowlands agreed that Morris had appeared to have been the main player in the robbery and asked why it had taken so long to bring the matter before the court. He felt that Garner should have been immediately charged and remanded in custody, as should the deceased. Mr King, defending, said his client, a mum of one and former pupil of Mould Allen School, hopes to use her time in custody productively. She got involved in this despicable incident at her lowest ebb, he told the court, and she has really struggled with her mental health. It is a feature of this case that both the witness, Ms Garner, and in fact her deceased partner were all gripped by drug addiction at the time. Mr King added that Garner has genuinely tried to rehabilitate herself by way of a detox programme and has genuinely turned a corner. Judge Rowlands jailed Garner for seven years. Hello, this is Pauline here. New guide launched for businesses operating on Chester Rose. Businesses on Chester's historic rows have started to receive a copy of a new business guide to operating on the historic attraction. It has been developed by Chester Business Improvement District, Chester Bid, as part of the Chester Rose High Street Heritage Action Zone. The new guide contains a wealth of practical information on trading from alfresco licensing rules, how to use stall boards, right through to fire protection, waste management, and how to report maintenance issues in the public spaces. In the introduction to the Chester Rose Business Guide, Councillor Louise Gittins, leader of Chester, Cheshire West and Chester Council said, we recognise that working in such a unique environment can bring rules which may be confusing and it may not be immediately clear where to get help. We were therefore really pleased to support Chester Bid with the production of this business guide and hope that businesses feel it will enable them to better understand their role as historic guardians and provide the guidance to let them thrive and prosper for many years to come. Chester Bid manager, Carl Critchlow, said, the rows are a historical asset unique to Chester and have hosted businesses for hundreds of years. And as such, they form a key part of the heritage appeal that is vital to our city centre economy. This guide will give businesses the information they need to operate on the rows and remain a vibrant hub of business activity for years to come. The historic Chester rows were built on Roman foundations with the earliest existing shop dating from 1274. With over 100 listed buildings still remaining, they are a unique living and working environment that have evolved and been added to with every century. Today, the rows host over 200 shops, including many independent traders and eateries, together with hotels, offices and community spaces who choose to continue this legacy in the heart of Chester. Chester Rose Heritage Action Zone is a four-year programme running until March 2024 with £1.08 million funding from Historic England, which form part of a broader government-backed scheme to support 67 high streets across England. Complemented with funding and in-kind support from the Cheshire West and Cheshire Council, Chester Bid, 
Marketing Cheshire, the University of Chester, Chester Civic Society, as well as Grosvenor Estates and other private sector partners, the principal objectives were to increase awareness of the historical importance of the rose, undertake refurbishment of heritage features and encourage football, footfall to support traders and the jobs they provide. Historic England's Pippa Brown said, Historic England has worked closely with Cheshire West and Chester Council and their partners to help secure a positive long-term future for our historic high streets. This new guide will help existing businesses and would-be traders to understand how they operate successfully here. Chester City Centre's visitor economy is worth 1.13 billion pounds per annum and supports over 20,000 jobs, including those in the supply chain. The heritage appeal of the city centre is a key driver of footfall, which helps retain business occupation. Flintshire Trading Standards Service has issued a warning after a number of residents were targeted by a new wave of email scams masquerading as TV licensing communications. These dodgy emails commonly state that the recipient's licence is about to expire or that there's been an issue with their most recent payment. TV licensing has produced a guide on how to spot scams and report them. The main things to look out for are TV licensing will include your name and or part of your postcode in the emails. Scams simply tend to use your email address or say dear customer. Also, we send our emails from do not reply at tvlicensing.co.uk or if you have a payment plan from do not reply at spp.tvlicensing.co.uk. If you have a payment card and you make mobile payments via the TVL app, you could also receive emails from no reply at paypoint.com, but the sender's name will show as TVL Pay. Scam emails often tell you that you need to make an urgent payment. We only email customers about payments if they've missed one. You can always sign into your account to check. The mails often say that you can get a refund or a cheaper licence. We will never do this unless you've contacted us about a refund and we are replying to you. Also, TV licence scam emails will show a fake TV licence number. Your licence number is on letters or emails that we send you. If you've clicked on a link, make sure that you're on the real TV licensing website. So check the web address and make sure that you're at tvlicensing.co.uk or spp.tvlicensing.co.uk. We won't ask you for your mother's maiden name, your date of birth, unless you're over 74 and you're applying for a free TV licence, or your card details to make a missed payment until you've signed in using your licence number, your surname and your postcode. So just to recap, emails will be sent by do not reply at tvlicensing.co.uk or do not reply at spp.tvlicensing.co.uk 
www.paypoint.co.uk. There may be an email from noreply at paypoint.com where the sender's name will be shown as TVL Pay or the correct website address is tvlicensing.co.uk or spp.tvlicensing.co.uk Lucy Letby Inquiry Feedback from NHS Neonatal Unit Staff Sort The Chair of the Inquiry into Lucy Letby's Crimes at the Countess of Chester Hospital is seeking feedback from staff in neonatal units across the NHS. In an update on the Thirlwall Inquiry website, the Chair of the Inquiry, Lady Justice Thirlwall, has announced she is seeking feedback from staff who work within or in connection with neonatal units across the NHS. Midwives, doctors, consultants, nurses and managers are urged to give their views on the culture within their units by participating in a survey exercise delivered by the experienced health research charity Picker. The questions will help establish a critical understanding of culture in neonatal units. Lady Justice Thirlwall said, I would strongly encourage all of those working in or with NHS neonatal care who received the survey to take the time to complete it. Each response will play an important part in telling the inquiry what people on the ground really think. The survey is part of the wider programme of work informing the inquiry's investigation into Part C of its terms of reference considering the effectiveness of NHS governance, external scrutiny and professional regulation in keeping babies in in hospitals safe and well looked after. Significant further work is already ongoing to analyse responses of a detailed questionnaire which was sent to every hospital in England with a neonatal unit, completed by both medical and non-clinical directors. The analysis is being undertaken by the Nuffield Trust, an experienced and independent health think tank specialising in health research and policy analysis. This work will provide a detailed understanding of how neonatal units operate across the NHS in England. It has not yet been confirmed exactly when or where the Thirlwall inquiry will take place but it has previously been stated it will be held somewhere in Chester from September this year. Marks and Spencer to open food store at the Countess of Chester Hospital. A new Marks and Spencer food store is set to open at the Countess of Chester Hospital later this year. The new 1,000 square feet store, which will be situated in what is currently an office space in the hospital's main entrance, will be open seven days a week and aims to enhance the visitor, patient and staff experience on site. Featuring self-service kiosks alongside hosts, the store will offer a generous range of M&S products, including a deli section, hot and cold drinks, fresh fruit and vegetables as well as food to go and food for later options. The store will also offer a click and collect facility for purchases from marksandspencer.com. 
the development forms of wider improvements at the hospital that aim to ensure a variety of catering options for patients and visitors, including the recently opened Greener Cafe, which is based within the Women and Children's Building. It is the latest expansion in the Trust's 10-year partnership with the Compass Group, UK and Ireland's One Retail, which has seen significant investment over the past three years, including the opening of a Costa coffee shop inside the hospital's main entrance in 2021. Around 20 people will be employed at the new store, and work is due to begin this spring, with opening scheduled for later in the summer. Simon Holden, the Countess of Chester Hospital NHS Foundation Trust Director of Finance said, Thousands of patients visit our Countess site every year and we are committed to ensuring that a variety of accessible options are available for everyone. That's why we are extremely excited to be adding to the food and drink options at the hospital, which will give patients, visitors and staff even more choice. Our new M&S store will be formatted to offer a generous range of great quality M&S food products and we're really looking forward to it opening later this year. Andy Jones, Managing Director of One Retail, part of the Compass Group UK and Ireland, added, The opening of the M&S shop will enhance the experience at the hospital, offering a high street favourite to those visiting and working at the hospital. We are delighted to be working in partnership with the Countess of Chester Hospital to support with the widening of their retail offer and deliver the best in technology. We are looking forward to continuing to evolve our great service and high quality retail offers. Cyber experts and the North Wales Police and Crime Commissioner have given their support to a campaign aimed at keeping children safe online. Internet gaming has become a hugely popular pastime and hobby for young people. The benefits of gaming can range from developing qualities such as strategic thinking, rationalising, problem solving and persistence, and can also support the development of a wide range of cognitive and motor skills. It can also encourage creativity while socialising, albeit virtually, with friends. But there are risks to children who play games online, which come from the vast number of people, both in the UK and globally, who are also playing, the minimal restrictions and the fact that people may not be who they claim to be. This March, North Wales Police's Cyber Crime Team and the Office of the Police and Crime Commissioner are joining with online safety experts Get Safe Online to highlight some of the threats of online gaming and how children and young people can game safely. Get Safe Online is a leading source of unbiased, factual and easy to understand information on online safety in the UK. And they have issued the following tips uh, to, to consider when your children are gaming online. Check the PEGI or Pan-European Game Information age ratings of games to ensure that your children are not accessing inappropriate content. Join your child in online gaming from time to time and randomly. This will give you an idea of the games they're playing and who they connect with. Have open and honest conversations with your child about their online gaming and the risks involved, including stranger danger, 
bullying and oversharing. Tell them that not everybody they meet on gaming platforms and forums is who they claim to be. Set and monitor limits for the amount of daily or weekly time your children spend online gaming. You could preload some spending money onto their game, but be clear that when it's gone, it's gone and stick to it. Never give your child access to your payment card details as extras in games can be very costly. Finally, impress upon your child that they can come to you or another responsible adult with any concerns. Depending on their age, you could also discuss how to report issues to the gaming platform and or to the police. Darts Night with Michael Van Gerwen and Phil the Power Taylor. Hundreds of people turned out to watch two of the best darts players in history go head-to-head in Chester on Saturday, February the 24th. The Ace of Sports Darts Championship 2024 was held at the race course in Chester, following last year's success in Monadissa. There were over 400 people in attendance to watch Michael Van Gerwen, the Green Machine, take on Phil the Power Taylor, as well as the Ace of Sports final. On February the 4th, 64 local competitors battled it out for a place in the 2024 final, when a massive opportunity to face either Van Gerwen or Taylor. The two finalists were Flincher Pair, Andy Alka and Colin Sneed, the winner of which would take on the winner of MGV versus The Power. In front of a packed crowd, Alka defeated Sneed in the semi-final, while the Green Machine overcame Taylor. And to the shock of most in the room, Alka went on to beat Van Gerwen in the final to take the prize. As well as the matches on show, there were plenty of auctions and prizes on offer for the crowd. Following the evening, event organiser John Jones said, To be able to bring this event to the local area is something I've always been proud of. I'm just so happy so many from the community got to experience it. When I was a kid playing for Liverpool, everyone had Stephen Gerrard as their idol. I had Phil Taylor. To promote this game between him and the other and the player people regard as the best of all time. Michael Van Gerwen in the battle of the best ever is something not only will I never forget, but a memory that will live long in the memory of the community for years to come. Michael Van Gerwen said, I came last year and it was a special night. This time in Chester, it was even more phenomenal. It was a pleasure to share the stage with Phil one last time. What he's done for darts, you can't take away from him. He is the greatest, but I am the best. Phil the Power Taylor said, John and the Ace of Sports team have put so much effort into this, you can see that they don't think do things by halves. I really enjoy coming to Chester and to have such a support here tonight was special for me. Finally, the Ace of Darts champion for 2024, Andy Alka, said, This whole experience from walking into the Argoyle Social Club for the qualifiers to lifting the trophy on Saturday night was incredible. It's an experience that I will always remember and to share the experience with Colin, whom I have so much respect for and who helped me along the way make the night so special. I'd like to thank John and everyone at Ace of Sports for the effort they all put in to make the night the night happened. Without people like John and his team putting the community on 
putting events on in the community, ordinary people will never get to be on a stage showing the talent that we have. Hopefully next year we will get bigger and I'm looking forward to trying to defend the title. A leading supplier of award-winning timber garden products has opened a new factory outlet in Flintshire. Zest opened the site at its warehouse on River Lane in Saltney on Saturday the 3rd of March. They will be offering significant savings of up to 80% off recommended retail price on Zest Timber Garden products. The official opening ceremony was conducted by the Mayor of Saltney, Councillor Kim Shalcross, who was accompanied by County Councillors Jason Shalcross and Richard Lloyd. Zest is part of the P&A Group, established in 1985. The group consists of Zest, the Woodworks Garden Centre and Café in Mould, which sells Zest products, P&A Pallets and Packaging, and St Andrew's Business Centre for Leased and Virtual Offices. Commenting on the opening, Councillor Lloyd said, Since Zest came to Saltney, it has not only transformed a site that was almost derelict, but it has also gone on to build a renowned innovation centre, the Design Shed, opened by the Right Honourable Lord Barry Jones in March 2022, to further develop its Zest Timber Garden range. Now, two years later, it's opened a new factory outlet. Councillor Lloyd added, This type of business development is good for Saltney, good for local employment and the new retail space for garden products will bring more customers into the local area, which should have a knock-on effect for other local businesses. Congratulations to the P&A Group on the opening of the new Zest factory outlet and we wish the company every success in this initiative for future developments here in Saltney. Thank you also for making a donation from the opening day to Mind North East Wales, P&A Group's chosen charity for the year. We know how committed the company is to supporting the local community. The new outlet will be open every Friday from 9am to 4pm, subject to stock availability. Zest products on offer will include X-Display and Seconds, with fully assembled and flat pack options available. Parking is available and goods will be on offer on a card payment and collection basis only. Prolific offender jailed again at Chester Crown Court. A prolific offender known as the Marigold Burglar has been jailed again after he pleaded guilty to handling property which had been stolen during a series of burglaries in Cheshire. Gary Clifford Clifton uh, appeared at Chester Crown Court on Wednesday, uh, February the 28th, where he was sentenced to two years in prison. The 59-year-old of Solvay Road in Manchester had previously guild, pleaded guilty to four counts of handling stolen property. Operation China began in November 2022, when officers in Macclesfield CID became aware of a series of burglaries in Poynton and Disley, where the offender was stealing cash, pottery and antiques. Extensive inquiries were undertaken by the team at Macclesfield, including CCTV and forensics, and patrols also stepped up in the local area. Then at around 5am on Sunday, January the 15th, 2023, police were called to reports of a suspicious man in the Coppice uh, Road area of Poynton. 
Officers were deployed to the scene and on arrival they came across a man on a bicycle who was loitering in the area and matched the description of the suspect in the burglary series. Police attempted to engage with the man, but he quickly dumped his bike and fled the scene on foot. The police recovered the bicycle along with a water bottle, which was mounted on the frame. Subsequent forensic tests were conducted and traces of Clifton's DNA were found on the bottle. Clifton had an extensive history of offending and had previously gained the nickname of the Marigold Burglar following a series of high-value burglaries in 2001, where he wore rubber gloves. He had only been released from prison in 2021, after serving a previous sentence for another series of burglaries in Cheshire, which had occurred in 2016. Following the DNA hit, detectives conducted another inquiry into Clifton, including mobile phone checks, which placed him at the scene of many of the burglaries. The data also in showed several calls to an auction house in Stockport. Financial checks were conducted, which showed that several payments into Clifton's account from the auction house. Officers initially believed that the payment would be for items stolen from the 22-23 burglary series. However, they were shocked to, di to discover that they were from the items that had been stolen in 2016, before his previous period of offending. A warrant was subsequently conducted at uh, Clifton's Homes in Manchester on Tuesday, April the 18th, where officers recovered some of the stolen items. Clifton was subsequently arrested at his workplace. Following his arrest, Clifton denied any involvement in the 2022-23 burglary series. However, he admitted that he had been selling the items that he'd stolen in 2016. Despite his denial, he was subsequently charged in connection with the incidents from both 2020-16 and 2022-2023. Upon appearing at Chester Crown Court on Monday the 29th of January for trial, Clifton pleaded guilty to handling stolen property in relation to all of the incidents from both 2016 and 2022-23. Following the sentencing, Detective Constable Rebecca Smith of Macclesfield CID said, Clifton is a career criminal who has shown no remorse for his actions and I welcome the sentence that has been handed to him. Following his latest release from prison in 2021, he presented himself as a model reformed character, attending all his probation appointments, training to become an HGV driver and even getting a job. But in reality, this was all an act. And from behind the scenes, he was busy selling the items he'd stolen in 2016, which he had kept in a storage while he was serving his prison sentence. Not only that, but he was also continuing to commit other similar offences in Cheshire East. What is particularly heart-wrenching in these cases is that due to Clifton's interest in high-value pottery and antiques, many of his victims were elderly, and are no, no longer here to take back the items he stole from them and see him finally being held accountable for his actions. While we will never be able to turn back time, I do hope that the sentence handed to Clifton will provide some closure to his victims who were still here and to the families of those who he targeted.
A new priest from Australia was welcomed at a special service led by the Bishop of St Asaph in Flintshire on Sunday the 3rd of March. The Reverend Andrea Deval Horsio will be joining the ministry team of the Anglican Churches in Hollywell and will be focusing her ministry especially on the Holway estate in the town. Andrea was born in Liverpool and ministry to children, youth and families has taken her to various places in England, Switzerland, Romania, Wales and Australia. This included working with Romanian street children and working in a hospital for children with HIV and AIDS. In Canberra, she worked as a school chaplain and a disability chaplain. It was through her work in specialist schools that Andrea recognised the calling to journey more deeply with families affected by disability, realising that all people need the opportunity to experience the love of God and hear the gospel message. Andrea is excited to move back to North Wales after 16 years living in Canberra and looks forward to settling into life in Hollywell and getting to know the local area and people. Bishop Gregory Cameron said, I am delighted to welcome Andrea back to the area in which she has been rooted in the past. As she returns from her ministry in Australia, Andrea will have much to offer us living out the gospel in North Wales today. Woman finds dead puma on side of Wrexham Road in Chester. Courtney Roberts, 21, was travelling on the A483 on the outskirts of Chester last week when she saw the dead animal lying in the central reservation. A woman was left stunned after capturing footage of what she said was a dead puma on the side of the road. Courtney Roberts, 21, was travelling on the A483 Wrexham Road in the Doddleston area on the outskirts of Chester last week when she saw the dead animal lying in the central reservation. She later shared her footage with experts and was told it was thought to be the body of a puma, otherwise commonly referred to as a mountain lion or cougar. Experts said the big cat, usually native to the Americas, has been spotted in the wild in Britain since the 1960s and 1970s, when they were popular to keep as pets. Courtney of Wrexham said, you see so many strange looking animals on the side of the road over here. I had to put my phone on to record and point it down to the road. Unfortunately, it isn't as clear as I'd like it to be. Looking at that picture, it looks like a bobcat. My partner was just looking and he saw a Scottish wildcat on Google and I think it looks like one of them, but in person you can see a spotted pattern on his coat. She posted the photos on a Facebook group for Lost Pets, where it was seen by a network of nationwide big cat researchers who then picked up the case. Owing to the amount of interest in the mystery animal, Courtney decided to return to the location with her partner to try to identify the animal or possibly even recover the body. But when she returned an hour later, the creature was gone. She said, I've just gone onto the bypass with my partner and pulled over and we stopped exactly where I saw the animal. And now there is no animal there. So I think someone has seen my post and gone to take it. There's no animal there. I've literally gone up and down again in my car with my full beam lights on, but I can't see any animal there now. So I don't know what's happened in the past hour, but I think someone's seen my post and they've taken the animal. A new documentary that's all about Britain's secret big cats called Panthera Britannia Declassified 
has become popular on Amazon Prime. It says it's sure that big cats are out there in the wild in Britain. Tim Whittard, who made the show, mentioned, this wouldn't be the first time the body of a big cat has been seen roadkilled in Britain. This is the fourth report I'm aware of in less than three months, and there are several high-profile cases of similar incidents. After the dead body mysteriously vanished, Courtney thinks there might be something strange going on. She said, if it were a fox, they would have left it. It must have been something of interest. It's very unfortunate that someone beat me to it. Jason Kenzie, a wildlife expert from Canada who knows a lot about wild cats, thinks the animal could be a young puma. He commented, it looks feline, but I believe it's too large to be a Scottish wildcat. It could be a bobcat or a lynx, but really this has the markings of a young cougar. Tim Whittard also thinks it might be a puma, saying, honestly, as daft as it might sound, I really do think you'd be far less likely to see a Scottish wildcat in this location than a puma. The next steps to delivering bus reform for Wales were set out by Deputy Minister for Climate Change, Lee Waters, on Wednesday the 6th of March. He said, We're moving from a privatised system that puts profit before people to one that will plan buses and trains together around the needs of passengers. The Welsh Government say their roadmap to bus reform builds on the proposals of the bus white paper to radically shape up the way the public transport system works in Wales. Transport for Wales, local councils and the Welsh Government will work together to design bus networks that link key services and tie up with other buses and with trains, all using one ticket. This is the most far-reaching set of reforms taking place anywhere in the UK, the Deputy Minister added. Our aim is to create one joined-up network, one integrated timetable, which you can access using one ticket. That way, we will make it easier to understand how to use public transport and make journeys seamless. This new approach is proposed to be rolled out on a geographical basis, but it will take several years to achieve. The Deputy Minister continued, This marks a major milestone on our bus reform journey. For too long, Welsh bus services have been neglected, with passenger numbers steadily falling and some bus routes being cut. It's not going to be an easy fix and it's going to take time, but bus reform is central to creating an integrated public transport network and tackling transport poverty across Wales. Connecting up bus, rail, walking and cycling routes, we will make it easier for people to make more sustainable choices, which is essential if we are to hit our ambitious sustainability goals in Wales. The steps we have outlined today put people before profit and makes it the right thing to do, the easy thing to do. Owner of dirty, rat-infested Chester shops put customers' health at serious risk. The owner of two stores in Chester has been sentenced for offences ranging from food safety and hygiene to illegal tobacco products and trademark breaches at Chester Crown Court. At a previous hearing in the Magistrates' Court, the case was referred to the Crown Court for sentencing due to the seriousness of the offences. On Wednesday, February 28th, Victor Vimanshan, 29, of Watling Court, Great Borton, 
sole company director of Today Choice UK Limited, trading as Chester Booze and Chester Convenience Stores, was handed a 12-month community order with 150 hours of unpaid work and 20 rehabilitation activity days. He was also ordered to pay a total of £6,400 in fines, plus £6,000 towards costs. During the inspections, food safety and hygiene officers found the premises to be dirty with a rat infestation which posed a significant risk to health. Counterfeit cigarettes and vapes containing five times the recommended amount of nicotine liquid were seized. The Council's Cabinet Member for Homes, Planning and Safer Communities, Councillor Christine Warner, said, Officers in our Public Protection Service work work proactively to help business owners comply with legislation and meet hygiene standards and food safety. The vast majority of food establishments in Cheshire West operate to a high standard. We have a duty to the public to take effective action where others do not make the same effort. In this case, officers witnessed poor conditions that posed a risk to the public and the penalties imposed send a clear and strong message that the courts will treat such situations seriously. In his sentencing remarks, the judge said, Cheshire West and Chester Council have trading standards and food hygiene departments which take seriously their responsibilities in this city and in this county. Cheshire West and Chester Council operate a pay-for advisory service for all food businesses called the Get Five Scheme. Call 01244 973 486 for more information or see the council's website. I'll repeat the number 01244 973-486 England goalkeeper gives gloves to Cheshire's school's raffle. Teachers and pupils at a Cheshire primary school were left really shocked after receiving a pair of signed Mary Earp's gloves to help fundraise for a new sports track. Parents at Tarpley Primary School are selling tickets for a raffle to raise more than £10,000 for the track, which will be used for the Daily Mile, where children run or jog for 15 minutes every day. Sue Briggs-Harris, Vice-Chairwoman of the School's Parent-Teachers Association, PTA, said she reached out to Man United to try to secure a prize. To her surprise, the club sent over a pair of gloves worn and signed by England goalkeeper Herbs, alongside a certificate of authenticity. I was really shocked, said the 58-year-old, who lives in Bunbury and works as a freelance journalist. I thought, what are the chances of getting a pair of gloves signed by Mary Earps? They also said they get a lot of requests, but don't always get back to them, but responded to us. Ms Briggs-Harris's partner, Caroline, 46, a criminal barrister, posted about the gloves on a local Facebook group which received hundreds of likes and comments from people expressing their interest in buying tickets for the raffle. Her phone would just keep going beep, 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 with people saying they would like to enter. Ms Bruce Harris said, the former treasurer, Hi all, has anyone been issuing payment links from the school sum-up machine because I've been receiving lots of notifications of payments from sum-up. Ms Briggs-Harris, her partner and their two children, Joseph, 12, and Harriet, 10, watched the Lionesses play against Germany in the Euro 2022 final 
and said it was a dream for them, she added. On the way back, everyone was celebrating and Joseph was even interviewed by Newsround. The atmosphere was amazing and it inspired so many girls to get into football, which is incredible to see. She said both her son and daughter play in defence, with her daughter joining a local football team called the Tattenhall Tornadoes after being inspired by the Lionesses. And her son always watches his sister's matches. She said she hopes someone with a passion for football wins the gloves and if they manage to raise enough money for a track, it will be named after Herbs. If we manage to sell all these tickets, we can put this new Daily Mile track in and then we can name it the Mary Earls Daily Mile track. And she might even come down to the school to open it for us. The winner of the gloves will be announced on March 28th after the lucky ticket has been drawn at the school. Those interested in taking part are advised to email briggsharris at live.co.uk. New food hygiene ratings have been announced by the Food Standards Agency and a number of places in Flintshire have been given the highest five-star rating. They include Frankie and Benny's, Unit 21, Broughton Shopping Park, Broughton, just Joe's at Just Joe's, 38 Welsh Road, Garden City, Deeside. The Boardroom Climbing Limited at Rector's Lane Industrial Estate, Sandycroft, Deeside. Cafe Issa at the Community Centre, Mercia Drive, Minneth Issa in Mould. Waffle Box, One Earl Buildings, Earl Road, Mould. And the Plough Inn at Plough Inn, Aston Road, Queensferry, Deeside. Five-star ratings have also been given to a number of Flincher takeaways, and they include Shotton Pizza and Kebab Shop at 44 Chester Road West, Shotton Deeside, Top Taste at 10A Wrexham Street, Mould, Valley Fish and Chips at 8 New Shop Parade, Greenfield Road, Hollywell, Buckley Kebab House at Brunswick Road, Buckley, Gray's Kiosk at the Kiosk, Daniel Owen Precinct in Mould, and finally... Domino's Pizza to Daniel Owen Precinct Mould. Unspent HS2 funds go to filling Chester and Ellesmere potholes. A slice of funds from the scrapped northern leg of the HS2 rail line, line is to be spent filling in potholes in Cheshire West this month. That's March. Cheshire West and Chester Council has confirmed the details of the additional roads to be treated this month on top of its existing maintenance schedule. The £1.262 million for the repairs comes from the Department for Transport Network North, HS2, grant after Phase 2 of the rail project north of Birmingham was officially abandoned last October. The roads to receive a full surface replacement are Chester Road, Kelsall, Norley Road and Norley Lane, Norley, Forest Road, Tarpley, Beach Road, Hartford, Cotton Lane, Chester, Ball Lane, Kingsley, Beach Lane, Northwich, Brackenway, Frodsham, Nixon Drive, Winsford, Yate House Lane, Byley, Marbury Road, Cumberbatch. Road, roadworks began last month and these are expected to be completed by March 20th. In addition, roads which will receive targeted replacement patches are Avondale, Trentdale and Sycamore Drive, Whitby, Bentley Farm Lane, Whitley, 
Manor Road and Carlton Road, Northwich, the Crescent, Hartford, Patmos Lane and Cape Lane, Nether Peaver, New Road and Marbury Road, Anderton with Marbury. These roadworks are expected to be completed by March 28th. CWAC is already committed to treating the following roads by the end of March, but some of these have already been completed. Footway reconstruction, Deansway, Tarvin and Cromwell Road. I'll start that again. Footway reconstruction on Deansway, Tarvin and Cromwell Road, Ellesmere Port by March the 8th. Footway micro-asphalt resurfacing until March the 18th on Primrose Lane, Helsby, Hillfield Road, Starbeck Road, Rossfield Road and Graffenhall Road, Ellesmere Port, Parkgate Road, Mollington, Stamford Road, Blaken, Vincent Drive, Westminster Park, Crystleton Road, Borton, Willington Road and Chester Road, Kelsall. Carriageway micro-asphalt patching, patching via Rejuvo Patch until March the 28th on School Street, Cedar Grove and Cedar Drive, Hool, Heath Lane, Belgrave Road, Marbury Road and Naomi Close, Great Borton, Cross of the Hill Road, Bickley, Malpas, Orchard Park Lane, Elton, St Peter's Way, Mickle Trafford, Hollands Lane, Kelsall, Bellevue Lane, Gildon Sutton, Rookery Road, Tilston, Netherton Drive, Frodsham, Cross Street and Riverside, Neston, The No, Willaston, the Parade, Parade and Hamilton Close Park Gate, Stryker Avenue, Bailey Avenue and Western Ro- Avenue, Ellesmere Port. Carriageway resurfacing on Boundary Lane, Saltney and Old Deebridge, che- Chester. Carriageway retread on Le- Lee Lane, Goldford, Marsh House Lane and Crew Le- Hill Lane, Farndon. Site investigations have taken place on the following roads for works to be carried out in the summer of 2024. Newnham Drive and St Andrews Road, Ellesmere Port, Mill Lane and Hollow Lane, Kingsley, Marion Drive, Great Borton. Carriageway patching preparation works have taken place at the following roads ahead of surface treatment in summer 2024. Park Drive, Blackthorn Avenue and Cromwell Road, Ellesmere Port, Darlington Crescent, Sorgal, Earlsway, Chester, Manley Road and High Street, Frodsham, Ledsham Lane, Ledsham. Full feasibility and scoping has not taken place for the 2024-25 programme, where an additional £1.262 million of redirected HH2 funds will be spent. These schemes will be assessed and confirmed at the start of the new financial year. The Council's Deputy Leader and Cabinet Member for Environment, Transport and Highways, Councillor Karen Shaw, said... The next few months will be an incredibly busy time for our highway service. These additional schemes will be completed on top of the existing works we had planned. By the end of March, this additional funding has helped our teams resurface a total of 43,200 square metres of road carriageway in the borough. Teams will be using some innovative products and machinery to carry out these schemes. For example, a vehicle which uses a dual fuel system which injects hydrogen into the engine to displace up to 40% of diesel fuel. Plus, a cold recycling method is also being used to reconstruct carriageway or footway in situ as well as rejuvo patch 
a product which allows repairs to quickly take place across large areas. Councillor Shaw added, Unfortunately, this time of year is always busy due to the formation of potholes due to wet and cold weather impacting any road surface, whether relatively new or old. We're doing all we can to ensure as much of the road network is repaired and running as smoothly as possible this spring and have deployed extra teams to work specifically on pothole repairs. Potholes are caused when water seeps through cracks in the road caused by passing vehicles. During periods of extreme cold, the water freezes and expands. This causes more cracks to form in the road. The asphalt is then pushed out like a bubble. The ice thaws and milder weather dries up all the water and creates a hole under the surface of the road. This gets larger every time water seeps into the hole, freezes and expands. With the base weakened, the weight of traffic causes the road surface to collapse into the hole that was formed from water freezing, expanding and thawing under the surface. A pothole is formed once the road surface has collapsed. Wear from traffic then makes the hole bigger. This is not always a lengthy process either. Under the right right conditions, potholes can develop very quickly, sometimes in as little as 24 hours. Quarterly updates will be reported on the Council's website once approved by the Department for Transport, as per grant requirements. When confirmation of future allocations is received, Cheshire West and Chester will produce a long-term plan for the full 11-year funding increase. Aura Wales' journey towards sustainability and carbon neutrality. Aura Wales has embarked on an ambitious journey towards sustainability and carbon neutrality, with its latest initiative promising six weeks of free electricity per year for its leisure centres across Flintshire. This milestone achievement follows Aura Wales' successful application in April 2023 for nearly £300,000 in grant funding from Sport Wales, dedicated to carbon reduction projects. The investment has facilitated the integration of -of state-of-the-art technologies such as photovoltaic PV panels, advanced building management systems and improved insulation. This significantly enhances Aura's operational efficiency and sustainability profile. A key upgrade includes the transition to energy-efficient LED lighting, replacing outdated traditional light fixtures. This switch not only reduces energy consumption, but also offers better lighting quality. It contributes to an improved customer experience while decreasing maintenance needs. Deeside Leisure Centre, or as flagship facility, has seen considerable advancements in its energy management with the implementation of sophisticated building management systems. These systems allow precise control over the ice arena's temperature, ventilation and air conditioning, optimising energy use and ensuring visitor comfort. The addition of PV panels at the D-side site is a leap forward in renewable energy usage, 
with the capacity to generate over 224,000 kilowatt-hours of clean electricity annually. This considerable output translates to a reduction in the centre's carbon footprint by more than 105,000 kilograms per year. The impact of these green initiatives is significant, equating to six weeks of free electricity each year for Aura. This achievement aligns with the Welsh Government's goal for a net zero Wales by 2050 and positions Aura Wales as a leader in sustainable practices within the community. Aura Wales, an employee-owned community benefit society, operates the majority of leisure centres and libraries in Flintshire. The grant awarded to Aura was made possible thanks to funding allocated to Sport Wales by the Welsh Government. Speaking on behalf of Sport Wales, CEO Brian Davis said, The cost of living crisis, compared with the climate emergency, makes it more pressing than ever to support the public leisure centre facilities which are so valued by the communities they serve. The energy-saving improvements at Aura's leisure centres in Flintshire will significantly reduce long-term running costs. They enable the facilities to become more financially sustainable and able to continue providing affordable activities for local people. New all-day dining venue Behem uh, opens its doors in Chester. A new independent all-day dining experience has opened its doors in Chester. With seating for 100, Behem uh, offers a versatile dining and socialising space that transitions from morning coffee dining to late-night drinks. The new Bridge Street venture is owned by Andy Lowe-Smith and Ben Isles. Chef de Patron Andy said, Bahim, we wanted to create a space that feels both luxurious and welcoming, where the art of dining is celebrated at any time of the day. Bahim is our dream come to life, where each dish tells a story and every visit creates a memory. Ben added, Bahim, is more than just a restaurant. It's a hangout where friends and families can come together. We've poured our heart into creating an atmosphere that mirrors our passion for great food, exceptional drinks, and the joy of shared experiences. Andy, a Michelin-trained chef with a diverse background, has a degree in fine art and significant culinary expertise at prestigious events, uh, establishments around the UK including his very own Cheshire dining experience. Along with head chef Curtis Tong, he brings creativity and culinary expertise to Bahem from his extensive experience in the Michelin dining sector. The menu, inspired by seasonal produce and with a modern Eastern uh, European feel and international influences, features produce from local suppliers such as the Shornhorn Beef from Hopton's Butchers and the Cornish Monkfish from Brooklyn's Fishmongers. His partnership with Ben, a fellow entrepreneur with whom he created the uh, <coughs> Gave Thieves Tequila brand, 
promises a dining experience that combines exquisite taste from the bar too. Andy's passion for pairing flavours shows in the experimental cocktail creations with feature signature creations such as the marigold uh, Kai Caprina and the wild garlic (coughs) martini. Bohem's all-day concept from 9am to 2am, seven days a week, is designed to cater for every occasion, from morning coffee and freshly freshly baked pastries starting at 9am, lunch is served served from noon till 2.30, and the dinner service from 6 to 9, Monday to Thursday, and until 9.30 on Friday and Saturday. Pinchos and snacks will be served at the bar from noon until late, with a Sunday menu featuring their signature roast from noon till 5pm. The bar is open every day until 2am. The name Behem, inspired by the word Bohemian, is mirrored in the establishment's interior design led by James Roberts Interiors. It features Influences from Eltham Palace and the elements such as a walnut panelling, an Italian marble bar, a specialist handmade tiles and the Mola chair all housed in the Grade 2 listed building. Bohem uh, features an open kitchen, a wraparound bar with a range of international spirits, a wine cellar and a development kitchen with pastries and fresh bread made on site. Andy added... This has been four years of passion and dedication to our vision to create an independent and truly unique restaurant you'll want to visit way beyond the first time. We can't wait to welcome you. Cambria College students have secured new jobs after completing a prestigious forestry programme. A group of Cambria College students have secured new jobs after completing a prestigious forestry programme. Till Hill, the UK's leading woodland creation, forest management and timber harvesting company, and Foresight Sustainable Forest Company PLC, announced the completion of their Foresight Sustainable Forestry Skills Training Programme in Wales and Scotland. Launched in 2022, The programme aimed to help young people in rural Wales gain employment opportunities in forestry by providing training, health and safety equipment and mentoring. The UK is experiencing a critical forestry skills shortage as it strives to meet tree planting targets to combat climate change and meet the increasing demand for homegrown timber. In 2023, approximately 80% of all timber used in the UK was imported, making the country the third largest global timber importer, highlighting a clear need to upskill and expand the forestry contractor workforce. Over 70 applicants applied for the latest course, and the 10 selected candidates have now completed their fully funded training. The trainees have been employed by Till Hill as contractors to to carry out planting works in its woodland creation sites. Andy White, lead forestry lecturer at Colleg Cambria Lisvazi, added, 
the, for the Foresight Sustainable Forestry Skills Training Programme is a fantastic opportunity for young people looking for a start in the forestry industry. This year's successful students have been lucky enough to receive training and qualifications in a wide range of practical forestry skills, including tree felling and chainsaw use, first aid, strimmer, brush cutter and clearing saw use, tractor driving and operation and pesticide application. New blood is in short supply within forestry, so this programme is particularly welcome by encouraging new entrants and providing the basics they need to get started. The generosity of Foresight in funding these courses and providing all the necessary PPE demonstrates their commitment to growing their own new generation of foresters of the future. Dealer bringing cocktail of drugs into Ellesmere Port has been jailed. A man from Ellesmere Port who was concerned in the supply of drugs, including cocaine, cannabis, morphine, diazepam, alprazolam, pregabalin, and zopiclone, have been jailed for six years. Has been jailed for six years. Philip Stewart of Durham Court, Ellesmere Port, was sentenced at Chester Crown Court on Monday, the March the 4th. Officers first conducted a warrant at the 38-year-old's address on Thursday, December the 2nd, 2021. As they forced their way through the front door, a man was spotted throwing a small white package out of a first floor window. Officers located the package and found it was a bag of white powder and individual wraps. Stewart was the only person present in the property. A bag of cannabis, several mobile phones, digital scales, boxes and strips of prescription drugs and £145 in cash was recovered from the property. Stewart was subsequently arrested and released under investigation, pending testing of the suspected drugs and examination of the mobile phones. The white powder was confirmed to be cocaine with a potential street value of up to £930. Examination of one of the mobile phones revealed messages consistent with being concerned in the supply of control drugs, namely cocaine, morphine, cannabis and benzodiazepines. The wraps of white powder were also found to have Stuart's DNA on them. Officers attended Stuart's home once again on Thursday, October 2023 and arrested him for drug supply offences. He was found in possession of six wraps of crack cocaine, digital scales with powder residue, rolls of plastic bags, and other drugs paraphernalia was recovered. Stewart was subsequently charged on Thursday the 12th of October and later pleaded guilty to the offences. Following the sentencing, PC Mike Rogers said, I welcome the custodial sentence handed to Stewart after a detailed investigation by Ellesmere Port officers. Even after being arrested and released under investigation for drug supply offences, he continued with his offending and has now rightly been handed a lengthy spell behind bars. Illegal drugs have a hugely detrimental impact and we are committed to doing all we can to remove those involved in the supply of such drugs from our communities. While Stuart is now off the streets, our fight is not over. 
we would urge anyone who has any information about suspected drugs activity to get in touch with us. Cheshire paedophile jailed for 11 years at Chester Crown Court. A Cheshire man has been jailed after he admitted engaging in sexual activity with children. Andrew Cork appeared at Chester Crown Court on Friday, March the 1st, where he was sentenced to 11 years in prison. The 53-year-old of Verdin Court, Leighton Crew, had previously pleaded guilty to two counts of engaging in sexual communications with a child, two counts of inciting a child to engage in sexual activity, no penetration, and one count of inciting a child to engage in sexual activity. He also admitted one count of possession of indecent images of children and three counts of making indecent images of children. The case against Cork began in May 2022 when officers from Norfolk Police contacted Cheshire Police to report that a man had been engaging in sexual communications with a nine-year-old child in Norfolk. The man had been using a mobile phone number which placed him in the crew area. The investigation was undertaken by the Online Child Abuse Investigation Team, OCAIT, OCAIT, at Cheshire Police, and following further inquiries, officers identified Cork as the suspect. A warrant was conducted at his home on Thursday, July the 14th, and Cork was arrested. Several electronic devices were also seized, including a laptop and two mobile phones. During questioning, Cork admitted that he had been engaging in sexually explicit communications with the child in Norfolk. He also told officers that there were indecent images of children on his devices, although he denied being sexually attracted to children. Cork was subsequently released on bail while further inquiries were undertaken, including analysis of all his electronic devices. During the analysis, Officers discovered over 300 indecent images of children and more than 60 sexually explicit videos of children. Of those, 28 were assessed as category A, the most serious category of indecent image. Officers also discovered that he had also been engaging in sexual communications with an 11-year-old child in Birmingham. Cork was later charged in relation to all the offences. Following his sentencing, Detective Constable Faye Taylor of Ockate said, Our investigation into Cork's online activity showed him to be a professional paedophile who used the internet and social media to sexually exploit vulnerable victims. He regularly engaged in sexually explicit communications with two vulnerable children and enticed them to engage in sexual acts for his own sexual gratification. On top of this, he was also in possession of hundreds of indecent images and videos of young children. The sentence handed to him demonstrates the severity of his actions, and I hope that it provides some reassurance and closure for the victims who have shown immense bravery and courage throughout the investigation. In addition to his custodial sentence, Cork was ordered to sign the Sex Offenders Register for Life and handed a lifetime sexual harm prevention order. DC Taylor added, 
we are committed to pursuing and bringing to justice those who engage in online child sexual exploitation and play a part in the sexual abuse of children. And I hope that the sentence that's been handed to Cork deters others from committing similar offences. To report a sexual offence called Cheshire Constabulary on 101, information can also be passed anonymously via Crime Stoppers on 0800 555 111. Welsh choirs raise £14,000 for air ambulance. <clears throat> An all Wales choir group have sung their hearts out to raise over £14,000 for the Wales Air Ambulance. <clears throat> choirs for Good picked the Welsh Air Ambulance as its charity of the year for 2023 after it received an overwhelming majority of, of the choristers' votes. <clears throat> the not-for-profit social business is made up of 12 choirs, all of which are spread out across Wales. Over 450 members meet on a weekly basis, with a vision to create a world where choirs are placed at the heart of local communities. Izzy Rodriguez, Choirs for Good co-founder, director and choir leader, said, As the year progressed, it became more apparent that many of our singers had a personal reason or connection for voting for Wales Air Ambulance. As choir leaders, we started to hear of stories from our choristers about the support they'd received from Wales Air Ambulance. Many of us didn't realise the level of care that can be given from the Wales Air Ambulance, such as open surgery at the side of the road. We also learned about the rapid response vehicles and the vital aftercare service provided by the team. The pastoral support given by the charity is perhaps a lesser known service, but just as important to those who need it. During the year, the choirs gave over 120 performances across Wales and the Southwest. 46 of those performances were raising money specifically for the life-saving charity. The fundraising included collections at shopping centres, busking in the streets and sparkly concerts. Choristers also held socials, raffles and one of its members, Veronica Patrick even took up an individual year-long triathlon challenge, which saw her raise £1,300 for the cause. This is the second year that the choir has chosen the charity of the year. The first year saw the choristers raise £6,500 for Blood Bikes Wales. Reflecting on how much was raised this year for charity, Izzy continued, We're so proud of our choristers. We were hoping to improve on last year, but we didn't expect to double it, let alone get to £14,000. It's been a real sense of achievement, and it's wonderful being able to give back while doing something that you love. 17 arrests as drugs gangs busted during Chester and Ellesmere Port police raids. More than 250 officers plus police dogs target 19 homes as drugs, cash and cars are seized. Two drugs gangs have been busted 
after police carried out early morning raids at 19 properties in Chester and Ellesmere Port. A total of 17 men have been arrested, with several kilos of cannabis, more than £65,000 in cash and motor vehicles seized by officers. Cheshire Constabulary carried out two separate operations, Operations Operation Heracles and Operation Leonardo, today, March the 6th, in which they targeted organised crime groups, OCGs, believed to be involved in the large-scale supply of cocaine and cannabis in Cheshire. More than 250 officers, including those from Serious and Organised Crime Unit, SOCU, Ellesmere Port Proactive Team and other specialist resources such as police dogs were involved. A total of 17 men, ranging in age from 22 to 33, were arrested on suspicion of conspiracy to supply cannabis and money laundering. Detective Chief Inspector Nick Henderson of the Serious and Organised Crime Unit said... Today's arrests are a result of investigations into those believed to be involved in the supply of cocaine and cannabis in Chester and Ellesmere Port. Operation Heracles and Operation Leonardo centre on two separate OCGs responsible for the large-scale supply of cannabis and cocaine in the Ellesmere Port and Chester areas. Numerous search warrants have taken place this morning with drugs, cash and motor vehicles seized, along with kilo amounts of cannabis. I hope this demonstrates that our teams are committed to doing all we can to tackle drug-related crimes and that these raids provide reassurance to the community. Illegal drugs have a devastating impact on local communities, so by cutting off the supply and removing dealers from our streets, we are working to break the cycle of serious and organised crime and make Cheshire a safer place. If you believe drug criminality is taking place in your neighbourhood, please report it to us on 101, and we will do the rest. Chester races to be surrounded by anti-terrorism bollards. There is no intelligence to suggest a specific terrorism threat to Chester Racecourse. It is stressed. Chester Races is set to be surrounded by anti-terrorism bollards, though no specific threat to the racecourse is predicted. Cheshire West and Chester Council has announced it is working with Chester Racecourse to enable them to install sockets for anti-terrorism bollards on roads around the venue. On race and other event days, the bollards will be placed into the sockets to support the necessary road closures. The installation of the bollards will result in the reduction of disruption to residents and motorists on event days as the roads will need to be closed for a much shorter length of time than they are currently. The bollards replace the Hostile Vehicle Protection System, HVM, already in use by the race course. The vehicle security bollards will prevent a hostile vehicle or accidental vehicle from entering the crowded pedestrian areas. The bollards aim to protect the area from a vehicle as a weapon attack. The work is scheduled to begin in April and will require several road closures while the work takes place. Vehicle security bollards have already been installed 
across Chester City Centre to protect large crowds during public events and busy shopping days. Councillor Karen Shaw, Deputy Leader of the Council and Cabinet Member for Environment, Transport and Highways said, Not only will the bollards protect racecourse visitors in crowded areas on race days, but they will mean road closures on race days can be implemented and removed much more quickly. So, there will be less disruption in the city during race meetings. There will be some disruption with a number of road closures, but the end result will mean smoother traffic movement in the city during race events. Louise Stewart, Chester Race Company CEO, said, Keeping our guests and the public safe is our number one priority. The installation of these sockets provides a more flexible, semi-permanent HVM security solution and reduces the significant time and impact that existing race day and event road closures have on their city and residents. We obviously recognise that there will be a little disruption to realise these long-term benefits. However, we have worked closely with the Council's highways team to ensure that all the necessary works are completed in the shortest possible timescale. The roads affected at various times during the installation of the bollards are Watergate Street, New Crane Street, Stanley Street, Nicholas Mews, Nuns Road, City Walls Road, Greyfriars and Blackfriars. Full details of when these roads will be closed will be available on the Council's website soon. Access will be maintained for residents. This installation will be completed by the Council's highways contractor, Colas, in partnership with Liverpool Civils. All costs for the project are being covered by Chester Racecourse. Hello once again, this is Michael Jones at Chester Talking Newspapers. HMP Berwyn opened in Wrexham in 2017 and is regarded as being the largest and most advanced prison in the UK. Named after a mountain range, Berwyn was built on Wrexham Industrial Estate on the former site of an old Firestone tyre factory. At this location in North Wales, HM Prison Service are responsible for a maximum of 2,100 prisoners at any one time, although in real terms the total number of convicted persons being held there can be as low as 1,700. Built at a cost of £250 million, HMP Bowen was designated a Category C Adult Male Prison. What this means is that this type of institution has the objective of looking after, training and re-educating and eventually returning the inmates back into the community. It is therefore only one step away from being an open prison. As with many British prisons, Irwin has an institutional structure to its activities. The place is highly organised and incarceration is arranged around three houses. Bala, Olwyn and Kerryog. Development of the prison hit a number of problems along the way and delays occurred as a result. The full complement of buildings has not yet been finished even two years after opening. 
This led to a reduced capacity, and Bowen was only half full for a number of years, whilst construction work was completed. Many inmates had to share their cells with others, and all of this, along with rising costs, resulted in highly publicised legal wrangles and controversies. The first prison governor over HMP Bowen was Russ Trent, who managed to stay in the job barely 18 months before being suspended pending an investigation by the prison service. The following year, a new governor was appointed to replace him. This time it fell to Nick Leader to take on the role, and eventually had charge of 500-plus prison officers who worked in the building. There were many positive observations on the subject of the UK's largest prison. Berwyn was said to have made a good start as an institution, but time and again the site was dogged by controversy. Its reputation for rehabilitating inmates and tailoring them back into the community was tarnished by a number of incidents which cast doubt on the professionalism of the staff. Stories of physical assault and drug-taking set the alarm bells ringing amongst the authorities. Just over 21% of the prison population tested positive for drugs, and many claimed that illegal substances were easy to come by within the prison walls. Too much time was spent in the cell in many cases, with some inmates spending barely a few hours out of their room, and this was regarded as a poor result for an institution which specialised in rehabilitation and retraining. Furthermore, Bowen staff were said to be inexperienced and had failed to take the appropriate action necessary in a crisis. Despite this, living conditions were good. All prison cells had communication points, showers and computers. The quality of teaching was praised as being of a very high standard within the building. However, 18 female members of staff have left the job after allegations of inappropriate relationships with inmates. Some of these were made redundant, others resigned, and three of them were prosecuted and went to jail themselves. The story continues at Britain's largest prison, although the full complement of prisoners is still not up to capacity and many staff lack experience in the service. Nevertheless, progress is being made Problems are being solved, and as time goes on, HMP Bowen is gradually becoming established as a force to be reckoned with in the world of law enforcement. Mountaineer Chris Bonington talks about his life. The mountaineer Sir Chris Bonington, 89, joined the RAF after failing to get the grades for university, and he then transferred to the army. He made the first British ascent of the North Wall of the Eiger and he led the expedition that made the first ascent of the southwest face of Everest. He has two surviving sons from his marriage to his late wife. A third died in childhood. He remarried in 2016 and he lives in Cumbria. He says, I will probably leave my wife Loreto before she leaves me because she is 15 years younger than me. I find that difficult because I love her so much. The current government, I think, is appalling. They don't know what they're doing. What a mess this country is in. Once Labour are in power, all the little Corbynistas are going to jump out of their rabbit holes and Sir Keir Starmer is going to have a difficult time. I've always been left-wing. 
I have never voted, but I'm a total Lib Dem. My climbing days are definitely over. At 89, I haven't got the stamina and my balance is not terribly good. I walk seven miles a day, but those agile days are over. I've had a fantastic life, that's what counts. My mum had a severe nervous breakdown. She was in hospital, so my nan basically raised me. My mum then felt I was too tied to my nan, and so she forbade me to see her at all. That hurt me. I always had a slightly awkward relationship with my mum, and I had a fairly strange childhood. Life was very empty after my first wife, Wendy, died. We were married for 40 years before she died of motor neurone disease. I was lost in so many ways, but then I found love again with Loreto, who'd been married to a friend of mine, climber and broadcaster Ian McNaught Davis. After he died and I lost Wendy, we fell in love. It was the best thing that ever happened to me. Communists, I think, are incredibly boring people. I was a young communist because my mum was a communist until she saw what was going on in Russia. In sixth form, I decided I would try to get into the colonial service, so I dropped communism like a hot brick. You never get over the loss of your child. When the messenger came with the news that my three-year-old son had drowned, I was in South America trying to climb a silly volcano. I knew there must be something terribly wrong and I said, God, something's happened to Wendy. But then I opened the message. It had taken a week for us to get there, but I got back to where I could catch a plane in 24 hours and I didn't stop until I got back home. Wendy was at the airport waiting for me. It is extraordinary that I am still alive. I've had so many near-death experiences. I'm alive not because I was clever, but because I was lucky. My narrowest escape was while climbing the central tower of pain in Chile. I made one misstep on the way down and I tumbled until I finally landed headfirst in the snow. My axe hit my head when I was flailing around, so I was covered in blood. My dad was one of the founding members of the SAS. He was hardly in my life at all. He was taken prisoner and my mum didn't want to get back with him when he came home. By that time, she had decided she preferred women to men anyway. Everest now is a circus. When I see photos, photos of the climbers queuing, I think, thank God I did it when I did. We had the mountain to ourselves when we were climbing. Our sons were right nightmares. We were liberal parents. I was away an awful lot of the time. The two boys were very wild, to say the least. Yet, having given us all kinds of problems, they are now incredibly nice adults. Because I'd gone to public school, I was made an officer candidate at Royal Air Force College. I was absolutely useless at flying. My mum didn't own a car, so I had never even driven. Then suddenly you're trying to pilot an aeroplane. I wish I had faith. Intellectually, I cannot. My wife's a Catholic. I go to church with her because it's an important part of her life. And I actually get a lot from going. I never got homesick. I loved my wife and children, but I also loved my climbing. So the moment I got out on that ship, that was it. It was the mountains that counted. We're not rich, but we have three homes. I'm very lucky. Love is the most important thing. If you have love, you've got everything. 
This was adapted from an article in the Times magazine of the 2nd of March 2024. Sunday Times best-selling author C.L. Taylor talks about writing thrillers. Up All Night Thrillers are C.L. Taylor's domain. Suspense, cliffhangers, twists and turns, the popular author's books have them all. Her breakthrough came when she ventured into writing psychological thrillers after trying to write romance. She has now written 10 bestsellers, including Richard and Judy's picks Sleep and The Guilty Couple. Her latest novel, Every Move You Make, follows four people with one thing in common. They are being stalked. When they attend the funeral of their friend, they then receive a wreath claiming one of them will die in 10 days and they decide it might be time to turn the tables on their stalkers. C.L. Taylor lives in Bristol with her partner, son and dog Lily. She says, It takes time to process an experience before you can write about it. Sometimes it's too raw. When the news broke about Sarah Everard's killer's history of sexual offences, it reminded me of the danger that women continue to be in. I was stalked 15 years ago. I didn't report it to the police, thinking that they wouldn't take it seriously. The idea for my new book wasn't about people being stalked, but of people taking back control. It's that loss of control that's scary. You never know what's going to happen next, living life on a sword's edge. So the idea of people tracking down their predators is very empowering to me. I've enjoyed watching my characters take charge of their situations in my recent books. What I liked about writing my latest book was the sense of camaraderie. Being stalked is isolating, but the characters in the book are all in the same situation and they know how each other feels. It never even occurred to me 15 years ago to look on the internet and see if there were other people in my situation. Some ideas for books just don't work as much as you want them to. One thing that's really important to me is to have an idea that is very high stakes. And with my latest book, Every Move You Make, you don't get much higher stakes than having just 10 days to save yourself from a killer. I have a list of points that my idea has to tick. And if the idea doesn't reach them all, then I know it's too weak for a plot. I have some red herrings in mind before I start writing, but it's only as I start writing that the characters come alive to me. It's then that a secondary character that I haven't put much thought into might become a red herring, or they may say or do something that puts doubt into the reader's mind. It just becomes instinctive and you have to hope that the reader catches it. Having lots of characters and alternating chapters mean I have to ask myself a lot of questions about them, giving them their backstory. What is it they want? What do they fear? What's important to them? Who's in their life? I use free software called YWriter. It breaks the novel into chapters so you can switch easily between them. I label all my chapters with the characters' names. That way, I can click on all the ones with Alex, for example, and quickly read through them. It helps me stay in touch with the character. I never tell my agent or editor any of the twists in my stories because I figure if anyone is going to work them out, it will be them. If they don't guess them, I know I've succeeded. Once, my editor did guess a plot twist, so I went back and made it a lot less obvious. I come up with my very best ideas right before I go to sleep. My mind is too busy in the day with my family, my dog, my emails... 
When I get into bed at night, my mind goes straight to the plot and the ideas arrive. It's as nerve-wracking writing my 11th crime book as it was writing the first. You set a standard that your readers expect and there's always the worry that this will be the one that they hate. I think that's what pushes you to be better a writer. As soon as you stop caring and start churning books out, readers will know. I am still full of doubt with every book. The advice I'd give to aspiring writers is to analyse the books that you love. Work out what the author did, what happened at the end of one chapter to make you want to read on to the next one. And I also spend time analysing bestsellers to see why they appealed to so many people. C.L. Taylor's latest book, Every Move You Make, will be out as an audiobook on the 28th of March. It has a running time of 10 hours and 14 minutes and is, run, and is read by Claire Corbett. This was adapted from an article in the Woman and Home magazine of April 2024. Chef and TV personality Monica Galetti talks about her life. The chef Monica Galetti, 48, was born in Samoa, but grew up in New Zealand. In 1999, she moved to London, where she worked at Michel Roux's two Michelin-starred restaurant, Le Gavroche. She has been a judge on MasterChef The Professionals since 2009, and she is supporting Comic Relief with a line of Red Nose Day aprons. She is chef proprietor of Mia, the, the Fitzrovia restaurant she opened with her husband, David, in 2017. They have a teenage daughter and they live in London. She says, it's frightening to see so many of my colleagues' restaurants closing. It's almost one a week. The last few years have been tough on restaurants. Women of colour tell me that it has meant so much to them to see someone who looks like them on the TV. That really does touch me. It's something I love hearing and I never took it into consideration enough. I was just doing a job I loved. But over the years, I've come to realise how important that representation is. You're saying anyone can do this, even a barefoot little girl who couldn't speak English and was running around an island. I walked away with a few boxes of souvenirs from Le Gavroche. Michel Roux had a sale of everything that he was getting rid of after it closed in January. I walked around for an hour trying to find the perfect keepsake. I nearly cried when I picked up a sauce boat. I said, I remember when I threw that sauce all over you during service, Michelle, and you just said, carry on. He did a whole service covered in sauce. I was honoured to be there for the last night at Le Gavroche. Everyone very dear to Michelle was there. His mum, his daughter, Gordon Ramsay, people who came through that kitchen. It was a bittersweet night. I had to take a year out from MasterChef, the TV programme, because it was a tough time for me. Everything came at once. MasterChef was due to start filming and at the same time, good chefs were leaving my kitchen. My daughter needed me and my nephew was very ill in New Zealand. I wanted to go and support him with treatment. So I had to take a deep breath and put what's really important first, my family and my business. I have no interest in watching shows about what I do day in, day out. Shows like The Bear. I haven't seen the TV programme Boiling Point either. I know the reality and the truth of how hard it is to get yourself up the ladder, especially when you get to the higher end of cooking. 
Not all kitchens are shouty anymore, but it was very much a part of kitchens back in the day. My nephew is in a hospice. He is deteriorating. Otis, her nephew, was diagnosed with a rare form of cancer in 2022 when he was just 15. I'm so far away from my family here in the UK that bad news hits you worse because I can't just get into a car and drive over to see them. It's something I've had to learn to deal with, being away for 25 years. Sadly, the majority of the visits that I make home now are not about good times. For me, moving to New Zealand was a huge culture shock. I was about nine when we moved from Samoa. So to be taken to a new country, become a foreigner, have to learn a new language and try to fit in, that was all tough for me. My daughter can now look at a glass of wine and tell you if it's a Chardonnay or a Sauvignon Blanc, just by the colour of it. She knows good quality, good flavours and taste. She's very fortunate she's had that upbringing, but of course she wants nothing to do with becoming a cook or a sommelier. Marmite is the secret ingredient in my lasagna. I love Marmite, but it's got to be New Zealand Marmite, which is less bitter than the British one and nothing like that horrible Vegemite. I get so happy if a guest at my restaurant says, oh, normally I can't stand Marmite, but you convinced me. I love it. But salt and vinegar crisps have got to be my biggest guilty pleasure. Guinea pig is the weirdest thing that I've ever eaten. They are cute, so luckily I didn't have to catch it. They had it already in the kitchen. That was in South America. Without the skin on, it just looked like a big rat. It will not be on my menu anytime soon. For my husband, he says it was love at first sight. He started as sommelier at Le Gavroche while I was away. When I came in, he said to my friend, oh my gosh, if I ever get a chance to go out with her, I'd be so happy. I always laugh and I tease him about that all the time. This was adapted from an article in the Times magazine of the 24th of February, 2024. The next stage of road closures linked to the multi-million pound Seven Trent project to connect two water treatment plants has now started. Seven Trent is constructing a three kilometre main to link Bolton Water Treatment Works to Huntington Water Treatment Works. The water company has now begun work at Jubilee Playing Fields. A road closure has been implemented on Meadow Lane from Monday, March the 4th. There will also be a single lane closure on Crystleton Road, which started after peak hours on Friday, March the 1st, and a second weekend closure from Friday, March the 8th, including a closure at the top of Sandy Lane from March the 8th to March the 24th. This will be followed by a road closure of the outward bound route on the A51 Tarvin Road at the beginning of April. Seven Trent say to complete work as quickly as possible and minimise disruption during the construction phase. They will be working longer days during the week and over the weekends. The scheme is expected to be completed during December 2024. Residents will be able to learn more about the £16 million project 
at an event at St. Luke's Church on Chester Road, Huntingdon, on March the 7th. The second of its kind in three months, the event will see seven Trent teams go deeper into the plans for the city, with the new three-kilometre main part of measures to ensure a reliable and sustainable water supply for generations to come. Uma Shankar, Programme Director at Seven Trent, said we want to make sure that we are providing the community with as much information as possible, which is vital for our customers in the city now and for generations to come. This is the second public session that we have hosted and is another chance to ensure everyone is fully informed about our planned works and know how we are progressing. This session will have the project team on the ground in Chester to answer any questions that the community may have and provide details of what will be happening over the coming months. The event will run over two time slots, 3pm to 4.30pm and 6pm to 7.30pm, and places must be booked. To book, you can call 07971 304604, that's 07971 304604, a private Facebook group for residents of this scheme to get updates and ask questions on the work has also been set up and can be found at Chester Resilience Facebook. A poem by Pam Ayres, which is perhaps appropriate for this age of austerity. It's called Sling Another Chair Leg on the Fire, Mother. Sling another chair leg on the fire, Mother. Pull your orange box up to the blaze. Hold your poor old mittens out and warm them in these inflationary days. Sink your teeth into that dripping sandwich. Flick the telly onto Channel 9, and if we get the sound without the picture, well, I'll kick it in the kidneys one more time. Come with me out to the empty garage. We haven't been there for a week or more. We'll bow our heads and gaze in silent homage at the spots of oil upon the floor. We'll think of when we had a motor car there which used to take us out in rain or shine, before the price of petrol went beyond us and we'll make believe we kept it one more time. Fling another sausage in the pan, mother. We'll laugh away our worries and our cares. But we'll never get a doctor after hours, mother, so for God's sake don't go falling down the stairs. Toss another lentil in the soup, mother and serve it up before the news at nine. And if the GPO detector spots us, make believe we've got a licence one more time. Pass me the hatchet and the axe, mother. Wipe away that sad and anxious frown. What with these inflationary spirals, it's nice to see the table falling down. Your poor old shins will soon be good and mottled, 
once the flames get round that teak veneer. And in the ring of warm and dancing firelight, we'll smile and wish each other Happy New Year. Plaid Cymru should threaten to end its cooperation agreement with the Welsh Government to secure changes to farming subsidy reforms. MPs have heard. Ben Lake, Plaid Cymru MP for Ceredigion, said the sustainable farming scheme should be paused and a proper policy developed, adding he would back his colleagues at the Senate using every lever possible. He told the Commons, if that means the demise of a cooperation agreement, I certainly shall not be mourning its passing. Labour in Wales holds 30 seats in the Senate, one seat short of an overall majority, while Plaid Cymru is the third largest party with 13. The two parties announced a cooperation agreement in 2021 across a number of policy areas. Under the SFS, Welsh farmers would have to set aside 10% of their land for trees and a further 10% for wildlife habitat. Farming leaders say the scheme could result in 5,500 job losses, with around 3,000 people from across Wales demonstrating outside the Senate last week. The Welsh Government has insisted it is listening to farmers' concerns and changes can be made. Speaking during a Commons debate on farming, Conservative MP Robin Miller said farmers in his Conway constituency believe the loss of income caused by SFS will be the difference between them having a future and not. He added to Mr Lake, So what message does he have there for his Plaid Cymru colleagues in the Senate who are propping up that Welsh Labour government through a cooperation agreement? Does he agree with me that tomorrow afternoon's budget vote might be a good opportunity for them to reconsider the cooperation? Mr Lake replied, I think he is right to state the fears of his farmers to very much align those with those expressed to me by farmers in Ceredigion, that the potential changes of this policy is quite frankly a matter of life and death for their businesses. He tells me to comment on some of the potential plans of my colleagues in the Senate. I resist them, but I will say that I think it's important, given the gravity of the situation facing the Welsh agricultural industry, that the SFS is changed. I would suggest that it should be paused to begin with, so we have time to devise a proper policy that is fit for the 21st century. And if my colleagues decide that they need to use every lever possible, then all power to their elbow. If that means the demise of a cooperation agreement, I certainly shall not be mourning its passing. Wells Office Minister Faye Jones earlier said farmers in the country have become used to an easy relationship with Welsh Labour over the last 25 years, adding frustration is turning to anger following the publication of the Sustainable Farming Scheme. She said this scheme is nothing short of unworkable. Instead of freeing farmers from the burden of red tape, farmers are forced into an atrocious set of data gathering and reporting on a yearly basis. A Welsh Government spokesperson said last week, farming is very important to Wales and our economy and we want a successful future for Welsh farming. 
We have had a seven-year conversation with farmers to design future farming support, and we are committed to continue to work with farmers to develop a sustainable farming scheme. This is a genuine consultation, and no decisions will be taken on any element of the proposal, including how we achieve the requirement for habitat and trees, until we have conducted all analysis of the consultation responses. We have been clear to expect changes to be made following the consultation, and we will continue to listen. Wrexham bounced back from a tough month in style, but Jacob Mendy knows the players can't rest on their laurels and must build on a fantastic win. Results were mixed during a frantic February, and the games came thick and fast. Phil Parkinson's side still remained in the League 2 promotion picture. The competition for a top three finish is fierce, and the Reds began March with a brilliant 4-0 victory over Accrington Stanley at the racecourse on Saturday, when all the goals came in the first half. Rexon are up to third in the table, three points behind leaders Mansfield Town, and on the same tally as second place Stockport County, and two ahead of Crew Alexandra and MK Dons, who sit fourth and fifth respectively. With three matches remaining, the Reds are well placed in the quest for a second successive promotion and Mendy, who earned the plaudits for his display against Accrington in the left wing-back role, on his return to the side, stressed the importance of trying to make it back-to-back -back wins at Morecambe on Saturday. I'm happy to be back in the team and have a performance like that, said Mendy. We knew what we had to do against Accrington, we came into the game off the back of a tough February. But there are still plenty of games to play, and we know what we are capable of. It's very tied up there, but we are going to fight right until the end of the season. Not just for promotion, but to try and win the league as well. So every goal counts, and every clean sheet counts. We have got to keep it going and look to build on this win at Morecambe and hopefully get the three points again. We've been through ups and downs, but we know we have got the fans supporting us all the time. We've got a good team and we will keep fighting for that promotion. Paul Mullen led the way with a hat-trick against Accrington to take his tally for the season to 16 goals, while Elliot Lee struck for the 15th time. Mendy says the deadly duo have got key parts to play in the run-in, which includes six games at the racecourse. They are both great players and make a difference, added the Gambia International. We are happy to have Miles in the team. Elliot scored as well. And it's good to have them backfiring. Please note that the Talking Newspaper 
Telephone contact number is changing. From the 1st of March, the telephone number to reach Chester and Flincher Talking Newspaper will be 07852 555 605. That is 07852 555 605. When you call this number, you can leave a message giving your contact details and one of us will call you back. Thank you. TNF Soundings. Features from across the UK. Hello, I'm Iona and this article is about having eye tests at home, what they involve and who can have them. We know that regular eye examinations can help to highlight and prevent the development of serious issues with vision, and pick up on any changes in your eyesight at an early stage. This is essential for the correct prescription of lenses that help you to see better. Eye tests may also detect the presence of other health conditions such as high cholesterol, early diabetes and high blood pressure, as well as a number of neurological issues. So, it is important that you have your eyes examined regularly in order to prevent these other health conditions from remaining undiagnosed and to monitor your general health. If you have a visual impairment, it can sometimes seem pointless to go to the optician for a standard eye test, because you already know you have a problem. But it is important to make sure you have your eyes checked regularly to ensure any developing problems are caught at an early stage. Sometimes, if you have an already recognised sight impairment, it can seem superfluous to go to the optician regularly, but that means you may miss out on diagnosis of new problems, such as cataracts or glaucoma, that may need attention to prevent your existing sight problems getting worse. In the case of cataracts, it's very important to detect them in their early stages. Likewise, undiagnosed and untreated glaucoma can lead to sight loss that could be slowed down or prevented by early intervention. So, the message is, don't dismiss the importance of regular eye tests with your local opticians, even if you have a recognised visual impairment. But what if you have difficulty in attending for an eye test? Perhaps you have a health condition that prevents you from travelling to have the test. This article explores the subject of eye tests that can be carried out by a qualified professional at your home and whether you are eligible for this service. Let's look at eligibility first. Basically, if you or a person you care for has a mental or physical disability or illness, which means that you are unable to leave your home unaccompanied, you are eligible to have a free eye examination at your home. This also applies to people living in residential or care homes. So how do you arrange to have an eye test at home? You may contact your usual optician to discover whether home eye tests are part of their service. Not all opticians provide the service. Nevertheless, they should be able to let you know of other optometrists near where you live 
who do offer home testing. If you are sixty or over and currently living in the UK, you are eligible for a free NHS eye examination and will not have to pay for your eye test at home. If you have not reached the age of sixty, you may still be eligible for a free eye test, but this depends on your circumstances. And in Scotland, eye examinations are free for everyone. The optometrist can explain exactly what you are entitled to when you call to organise your appointment. As for what will take place during a home visit, it is useful to know that most of the tests carried out are similar to those you would expect from an actual visit to the optician. However, the home visitor will not be bringing the huge equipment that you would see at the optician's. Instead, he or she. Will attend with a portable set of equipment, which will require some setting up in your home during the visit. As with all eye tests, the optometrist will ask you questions about your general health, your visual difficulties, and any glasses that you currently wear. You will have the opportunity to discuss any particular issues that you have experienced with your eyesight. The examination will involve the following: first. You will be required to read letters of the alphabet on a chart, or to match symbols. Second, the outer eye will be examined in order to see that the outside of your eye is healthy, and that your eyes react to a light source. Third, there will be checks made of your inner eye by shining a light into each eye. A light will be shone into your eye, and you'll be asked to look in different directions. Tests will also be done to ascertain that the muscles of the eyes are working well. Fourth, tests will be carried out to discover if you need to wear glasses and what prescription the lenses must be. Fifth, your side vision—that's your peripheral vision—will be tested. You may also receive an eye pressure test, the most common being puffs of air blown at the front of each eye. As you probably know, this doesn't create pain or discomfort. But it can make you jump. After these tests, the optometrist will discuss the findings of the examination, and, if appropriate, you will be given a prescription for new glasses. If there is a reason for you to be seen at the hospital because of an eye condition, the optometrist will arrange for you to be referred to the right ophthalmologist, that's a hospital eye doctor, for your condition. If you are prescribed new glasses. The optometrist will have a selection of frames, so you can choose what you like most of all. If you have former frames that you wish to retain, you can ask the optometrist to see if they're still suitable. You should be in agreement about the cost of new glasses before going ahead with ordering them. You may be eligible for help with the cost of NHS glasses. You'll need to ask the optometrist about this. When your new glasses are ready for you. The optometrist will contact you to arrange delivery, and to ensure that they fit well. If you keep a record of the name of your home visitor, you can easily contact him or her again if you have any further questions. Most difficulties can be dealt with quickly and easily. It is important to remember some key points about allowing a person you do not know into your home. So, when arranging an appointment. Make sure that you make a note of the optometrist's name, and also ask for identification when he or she arrives. 
You may find it reassuring to have a relative or friend at the house when the home visitor comes to visit, if you have anxiety about this. Please note that some large opticians, such as Specsavers, offer a home hearing test as well as an eye test, so that might be a useful additional service to consider. So it is important not to delay or miss out on an eye examination if you cannot easily leave the house. Instead, call your usual optician and find out if you are eligible for a home visit. TNF Soundings. TNF Soundings. Features from across the UK. Hello, this is Amanda. Two well-known individuals, the actress Kate Winslet and the ex-footballer Michael Owen, have been in the press recently in connection with Stargardt disease, a disease which affects one in 10,000 people, according to the Macular Society. An inherited eye condition, it is the result of the build-up of fatty material on the macula, the small part of the retina needed for sharp central vision, so causing blurriness in the central part of the eye. Vision loss usually starts in childhood, but some people with Stargardt disease don't start to lose their vision until they're adults. 11-year-old Lily Ray from Nottingham was diagnosed in December 2023. She started losing her eyesight when she was about five years old, but was initially told that she just needed glasses by opticians. Doctors have advised the schoolgirl, who is learning Braille, that her sight is constantly deteriorating, but it is hoped that she will keep some of her peripheral vision. Currently, her condition does not affect colour, but she does struggle with depth perception. She can only see from three metres or less, and she uses a font size 64 to read her laptop. Her mother, Emma, set up a fundraising page to make her daughter's dreams come true. Lily commented, This fundraiser is important for us, because then I can see the world before my vision goes, and my mum can also experience with me, and I can just have mental memories and also muscle memories of all the different experiences. And Lily Ray's dreams include seeing the Northern Lights and Paris from the top of the Eiffel Tower and going on safari in Africa. A £5,000 donation was made to the page by the actress Kate Winslet, together with a personal message. She wrote, Wishing Lily Ray some magical adventures so she can make many special memories to treasure. With lots of love, Kate Winslet and family. Miss Winslet's donation is double the fundraising page target of £2,500. Emma commented, We're very overwhelmed. The donations we've had have been absolutely appreciated. And she added that the personal message from Winslet was so special. James Owen, 17, was diagnosed with Stargardt disease when he was eight. The son of footballer Michael Owen he hoped to follow in his father's footballing footsteps. Michael played as a striker for clubs including Liverpool and Real Madrid and somewhat controversially went on to play for Liverpool's big northwest rivals, Manchester United. 
His father, Terry Owen, started his own footballing career at Everton in 1966. James was a good player when he was on the ball, but he often failed to track passes or notice player movements further down the field. It became more concerning when he struggled to compete on bigger pitches and it was all getting too fast-paced, James admits. At home or on holiday, Michael says he often got frustrated when trying to take family photographs as his young son always seemed to look to the side of the camera rather than at it. Even so, James's diagnosis came as a shock. James told Access All presenter Emma Tracy, who herself has no sight, that his central vision is blurry and that I struggle with seeing different colours and different lights, although he has good peripheral vision. Michael commented, As a parent, you just want everything to be perfect. And he is. But of course, it was a sad time, he says. Thinking about the future, will he be able to drive, will he be able to work, all these things run through your mind. James has learned to navigate the world around him by using tricks that other visually impaired people will know well. I'll notice what colour my dad's jumper is, so if I ever go out, then I would be able to recognise him from the colour, not from his face, because I struggle with detail. He's just mentally very, very strong. He's got a great mindset, Michael says. The father and son are about to release their first documentary, Football is for Everyone, focusing on futsal. The game is played on a small indoor pitch with a heavier ball that doesn't bounce as much. And players are classified by their visual impairments and only so many players of the same classification can play at once. The goalkeepers are fully sighted but are confined to the goal. Although he has sidelined football, James says, I've got a lot of dreams. He has found a passion for business, which he is studying at college, and hopes to own his own business in the future, although he says he's keeping his options open about what that might be. TNF Soundings TNF Soundings Features from across the UK Hello, this is Jan with some ideas from the gardening expert at the MK Pulse magazine based in Milton Keynes. Gnome, sweet gnome. To have gnome or not to have gnome? If that is the question posed to gardeners, you may hear some choice replies because these little folks are incredibly divisive. They are loved by some and loathed by others. But the idea of small stone figures in our garden spaces is hardly a new thing and actually dates back to Roman times. Indeed, Priapus, the ancient phallic god of fertility, was a regular feature in the gardens of the time. During the Renaissance period, gardens of wealthy villas sported groups of stone grotesques, including punch-style figures, typically a metre tall, and garishly painted. In Germany, the history of these garden figures has become inextricably confused with the tradition of little folk, or dwarves, who were believed to help in the mines and around the farm. Dr Twiggs Way gnomes more than most about the little beings. The garden and landscape historian has even issued a book on the subject. 
garden gnomes, a history. Northamptonshire is home to what is believed to be the oldest surviving example. Who brought the first gnome to England will probably never be proven, but the first to record using the figures in his garden was Charles Isham at Lamport Hall, who by the 1870s had a series of gnome tableau in amongst his giant rock garden, Twiggs said. Lampy, the sole survivor of the once numerous Lamport gnomes, now lays claim to being the oldest garden gnome in England and regularly attends gnome conferences around the world with a suitably high holiday insurance of a million pounds. Sir Frank Crisp at Friar Park in Oxfordshire was another early acquirer of the garden gnome, with his grand country house garden housing several of the larger one-metre-tall gnomes by the late 1890s, Twig said. And they are a little bit rock and roll too. It was Sir Frank Crisp's gnomes that featured so prominently on the cover of the George Harrison album All Things Must Pass, she explained. In the first decade of the 20th century, gnomes became popular and high-status features of country house gardens and venerable vicarages. But the reputation of the Germanic gnome suffered with the outbreak of World War I. Disney eventually revived the dwarfish fashion with their now classic Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. In the 1970s, a whole new gardening generation rushed to buy multicoloured plastic gnomes dressed in football strips, beachwear and even disguised as smurfs, said Twiggs. Solar-driven gnomes whistled and farted and naughty gnomes boasted areas of the gnomish anatomy that Priapus would have been proud. Perhaps not unconnected with the spread of gnomish undress, the late 20th century also saw the much-awaited arrival of the female gnome. These days, you can even get punk rock icons, the Ramones, and indie fellas Oasis in gnome form. Love them or loathe them. How does Twiggs view the chaps and ladies in the red-pointed hats? I see gnomes in the context of the wide variety of features that have graced our gardens over the centuries as the height of fashion at the time, but were later derided. Until, of course, fashion turned again. DNF Soundings TNF Soundings. Features from across the UK. Hello, it's Roger Brooks here. And uh, if your brain's in good order and you're up for it, here's a slightly harder quiz. So we'll call this one our slightly harder quiz because the questions are not quite so easy. OK, here we go. Question one. La Gioconda is a famous work of art but it has a better-known name. What do we know La Gioconda as? Question two. Which is the fastest diving bird? Helped by gravity, which is the fastest flying 
bird. Question three: Geoffrey Chaucer was the first poet to be buried in Poet's Corner. Where is Poet's Corner located? Question four: Uh huh. Elvis Presley, or as the Americans pronounce it, Presley.、Uh, what was Elvis's middle name? What was his middle name? Question five: When was the film Grease released? Question six: What is the Swedish currency? What's the currency in Sweden? Question seven: Napoleon Bonaparte had three islands of lifetime significance. They were. Born there, exiled there, and exiled there as well. Later on, chronological order. Question eight: What's the name of a cocktail that uses vodka, Galliano, and orange juice? And we won't think you're an alcoholic if you happen to know this. Just very worldly. The name of the cocktail that uses vodka. Galliano and orange juice. Question nine: Whose autobiography? This is a sort of trick question. Whose autobiography is called "Once Upon a Tyne"? T y n e. Once upon a tyne. And finally, question ten: Who is the living person with the most Oscar nominations? Uh, give you a slight clue: they are not somebody who appears in front of the camera. The living person with the most Oscar nominations. TNS Soundings. TNS Soundings. Features from across the UK. Hello, Roger. Back with our slightly harder quiz, or the subtitle "Not Quite So Easy" quiz, and the answers to them. Okay. First question was: There's a famous piece of art called La Gioconda. What is it? Better known as that is, of course, the Mona Lisa. The Mona Lisa. Question two: The Peregrine Falcon. Is said to be the fastest diving bird, the peregrine falcon. Question three: Geoffrey Chaucer was the first poet to be buried in what's now known as Poets' Corner. Where is Poets' Corner? Well, it is in Westminster Abbey. Westminster Abbey. Question four: What was Elvis Presley's middle name? It was Aaron, Aaron Elvis Aaron Presley. He was one of twins.、Uh, his other twin dying at birth,、uh, called Jesse. Question five: When was the film Grease released? And this is the answer we want. Huh, huh, huh. Is nineteen seventy-eight, nineteen seventy-eight. 
We still don't know how she got into those trousers. Question six. The Swedish currency is krona. The krona. Question seven. Napoleon Bonaparte had three island existences of great significance. He was born in Corsica. He was first exiled to Elba and finally exiled again to St. Helena. St. Helena. Question eight. The name of the cocktail that uses vodka, galliano, orange juice and presumably paracetamol the following morning is a Harvey Wallbanger. Glorious name for a drink, isn't it? A Harvey Wallbanger. Much better than some other names that have come along in recent years for cocktails. Question nine. Whose autobiography is called Once Upon a Tyne? T-Y-N-E. Well, Bonnie lad, who comes from up there? Well, it's actually, as I say, a slightly trick question because it's ant and deck. Ant and deck. So it's a double autobiography. There must be a name for that, but I don't happen to know it. And finally, question 10. Who is the living person with the most Oscar nominations? Well, that is the magnificent musician... John Williams, from Star Wars and many other wonderful compositions that stir the blood while enjoying the film. John Williams. Ten questions, ten answers. Hope you did well. Bye for now. TNS Soundings. TNS Soundings. Features from across the UK. Now for a look at some of this coming week's radio highlights, starting with Saturday, March 9th, and a programme devoted to one of the most prolific and talented composers and lyricists, Stephen Sondheim. Maria Friedman and others share their love of his work on Radio 4 Extra at 10 in the morning in the Sondheim Archive. Remember the days before Wi-Fi, mobile phones, laptops, computers, when we communicated by landline, post, fax or even face-to-face? If you do, then Matthew Broughton's drama is for you, as it explores the creation of the World Wide Web, beginning at the same time as a baby is born. The impact of the new technology on the world is explored through the lives of the child's family over the decades that follow. Turning point, this is for everyone. Radio 4, 3 o'clock, Saturday afternoon. And we've been hearing a lot lately about Daphne du Maurier, who died 35 years ago. And on Saturday afternoon, we have the opportunity to listen to the dramatisation of her 1944 play, The Years Between, Radio 4 Extra, 5pm, in which an MP, thought dead, returns home after three years. This is a 1995 recording featuring two of our finest actors, Diana Quick and Roger Alam. Radio 4 Extra, The Years Between, 5 o'clock. Sunday, March 10th, and no apologies, we continue with de Maurier as the BBC brings its season of selection of her works to a close. Two of her stories, The Blue Lens and The Little Photographer, are dramatised on Radio 4 at three in the afternoon. In the first, a vulnerable woman has an eye operation that changes her view on the world in a dramatic way. In the second, a bored, wealthy woman gets more than pretty pictures when she starts an affair with a photographer. The Blue Lens and The Little Photographer, Radio 4, three o'clock, Sunday afternoon. 
Singer-songwriter Justin Curry reflects on his diagnosis of Parkinson's disease with extracts from his journal, backstage scenes and conversations with friends. This isn't an exercise in self-pity, but an eloquently expressed assessment of re-evaluating life as an artist. Tremolo is broadcast on Radio 4 at 4.30. Many will remember the chorus of disapproval that arose by the axing of the BBC Singers last year. Well, we now know that decision was reversed, and this evening on Radio 3 at 11, singing together. Chief Conductor of the Singers, Sophie Jenin, explores collective singing experiences and how it serves to bind people together as a community. On to programmes that are serialised right throughout the week. Same time, same radio station, each day, Monday to Friday. And we begin with readings from a book that explores the beginning of the Luddite Rebellion and how the rise of the machine threatened the craftsmanship and livelihood of traditional cloth workers. First extract in 1811, when workers first began to organise and take action. Book of the week, Radio 4, 9.45 in the morning, Blood in the Machine. Workers' direct action is also the theme of the continuing programme on the miners' strikes of 84. In this episode, the viewpoint of those policing the strike is given prominence as a retired PC reflects on the demands of protecting the workers who cross the picket lines. Strike Boy, Policing Pickets, continues on Radio 4. 1.45 all week. And Book of Bedtime on Radio 4, 10.45, continuing from last week. And again, it is Daphne du Maurier territory. Episode 6 of Frenchman's Creek on Monday and then all through the rest of the week in which the Frenchman is carrying out his most audacious act of piracy. On to the rest of the radio highlights then. Monday, March 11th. And the Lunchtime Concert brings a variety of classical music on Radio 3, at one o'clock and monday's broadcast comes from wigmore hall and features piano music which includes a beethoven piano sonata lunchtime concert radio three one o'clock tuesday march 12th in the life scientific dr jonathan van tram talks about his life career from academic emphasis in childhood and imposter syndrome at medical school to pandemic pressures and birthday celebrations. He was the Deputy Chief Medical Officer for England during the time of the COVID pandemic. You can hear The Life Scientific, Radio 4, Tuesday morning, 9 o'clock. He only sold paintings in his life, but they're now sold for astronomic figures and have inspired plays, films and novels about his life and work and lately immersive digital exhibitions. Vincent van Gogh is the subject of Dead Famous, Radio 4, 11.30am. In what the Radio Times describes as an emotionally intelligent view of domestic abuse and controlling behaviour, the afternoon drama Hello, I Appear to Have Killed My Husband looks at what happens when a woman in such a marriage finally snaps and plunges a knife into her husband's chest, turning her life upside down forever. It sounds grim, the Radio Times does add there's a pleasing twist at the end. It is the afternoon drama. It is on Radio 4 at 2 o'clock. Wednesday, March 13th, and journalist Matthew Syed explores what can happen when we find out our own unique way into maths. Is it something of beauty or something terrifying? Sideways with Matthew Syed, for the love of maths, is on Radio 4 at 4 o'clock. John Le Carrier's growing disenchantment with his country is examined by his friends, family and recordings of Le Carrier himself in A Writer and His Country. John Le Carrier across six decades. You'll find it on Radio 4 Extra, and in this programme at 8 o'clock, Philip Sands, a friend and fellow writer, pieces together the inner life of the Dorset-born spy novelist. And lastly for Wednesday, 
How important is a good night sleep? Well, in Free Thinking on Radio 3, Lauren Scott and sleep researchers provide insights into sleep disorders and the tyranny of the alarm clock and you to discover whether you agree with the notion of sleep injustice. Free Thinking, Radio 3, 10 o'clock. Thursday, March 14th, two writers and artists join Claire Balding as she leads them on their walk from St David's along part of the Pembrokeshire coast. Strong words are spoken about second home ownership before they tell Claire about their project. Wild Folk, Tales from the Stones, Radio 4, 3 o'clock. Sticking a tracking device on an animal and suddenly all of their amazing journeys are revealed along with a wealth of other information about the weather, ecosystems, diseases and impending earthquakes. All of which is fascinating and vital and according to many the fate of the world seems to hang in the balance. You can hear more about it with Emily Knight discovers in Tracking the Planet, Changing Worlds, Thursday evening, Radio 4, 4 o'clock. On a slightly lighter note, the wonderful comedy Conversations from a Long Marriage. Devotees will need no encouragement for this, but if you're new to it, give yourselves over to the brilliant script and acting of Roger Alam, who we mentioned earlier, and Joanna Lumley. Conversations from a Long Marriage, Radio 4, 6.30. Finally, Friday, March 15th. And did you know the average UK wedding costs £21,000? but you can more than double that for a Sikh wedding, sometimes lasting up to a week and up to 800 guests. Shay Gruel investigates the growing tension that surrounds these weddings with religious leaders seeing these extravagant displays as being at odds with traditional values. In the perfect Sikh wedding, Radio 4, 11 o'clock, Friday morning. Leedsbourne, Wally Stott, was composer for The Goon Show and Hancock's Half Hour, but gained front-page news when he transitioned in 1972 to Angela Morley. Stuart Barr profiles the life and times of this talented musician in Musical Variations, The Life of Angela Morley on Radio 4 Extra at 8pm. And a pleasant way of winding down at the end of the day is to tune into Calm Classics with Myling Class on Classic FM at 10pm. That's it. Thank you to Terry for the highlights this week. May I wish you a peaceful, safe and enjoyable one of Radio Listening. Now for a look at this week's audio-described TV programmes for the week starting Saturday the 9th and ending Friday the 15th of March 2024, compiled by Diane and read by Helen. There is animated fun in Nick Park's Chicken Run at 3pm on BBC One. A clutch of hens plan a prisoner of war-style escape from an egg farm. Early evening starts with the Clash of the Gladiators at 5.50 on BBC One, with the contenders battling it out for a place in the grand final. At 8.35pm, Lee Mack continues in his quiz The One Percent Club on ITV1, with 100 players facing increasingly tough questions, but with the promise of a prize of £100,000. We have travel and food with Rick Stein at 7pm on BBC4, in Rick Stein's Long Weekends. This week he is in Reykjavik in Iceland, aiming to explore the culinary delights of the Arctic Circle, including fjord, reared roast lamb and rye bread cooked in volcanic sand. Charlie proves yet again that there is good in the world in the hospital drama Casualty at 9.20pm on BBC One. But will there be disastrous consequences, as Stevie is proven right, but will it save her job? Now on to Sunday the 10th of March 2024. Chef Raymond Blanc is exploring historic spots in County Down in Northern Ireland on ITV1 at 11.30 on Sunday morning, visiting Hillsborough Castle. 
Nature is the focus in a perfect planet at 5.35pm on BBC One, looking at how animals have come up with ways to manage the uneven hours of sunlight that change with the seasons. Narrated by David Attenborough. There is quiz show fun at 5.10 on ITV One in the Chase Celebrities Special, hosted by Bradley Walsh, and he is joined by a variety of celebrities, including Sarah Millican and Graham Hall, as they try to win cash for their chosen charities. We have some sun-soaked Sunday drama in Death in Paradise on BBC One at 8pm, where the team investigate a mysterious death where a tourist is stabbed whilst alone in a hotel lift. Meanwhile, an old face returns to the island, but is not greeted with open arms from everyone. At 9pm on Channel 4, the finalists appear in the Great Pottery Throwdown, with the three remaining potters facing two of their toughest challenges yet, as they are asked to create chandeliers and faceted bowls. This is followed at 10pm by Gogglebox on Channel 4, with the armchair critics sharing their opinions on the week's viewing. Here are those programmes which are on at the same time throughout the week. Crime Watch Live is at 10.45. Homes Under the Hammer is at 11.15. Bargain Hunt is at 12.15. Doctors is at 1.45, but not on Friday. Escape to the Country is at 3pm Monday to Thursday and 3.15 on Friday. The Repair Shop is at 3.45pm. All these programmes are on BBC One. Countdown is on Channel 4 at 10 past 2, Monday to Friday. Rick Stein's Food Stories is on BBC Two at 6.30, Monday to Thursday, and at 5.45 on Friday. Great Continental Railway Journeys is on BBC Four at 7pm, Tuesday to Thursday. There are two episodes of Heartbeat on ITV3 at 5.55 and 6.55, Monday to Friday. What's on offer on Monday the 11th of March 2024? Mother's Day features in Albert Square on EastEnders at 7.30pm on BBC One, with Cindy looking forward to spending the day with Gina, Anna and Peter for the first time. George is given an ultimatum. More soap drama is on at the same time with Emmerdale on ITV One, also at 7.30pm, where Charity faces up to her abandonment issues. In Coronation Street at 9pm on ITV1, things hot up as the police are pointed in Roy's direction. At 9pm on BBC2, comedian and former teacher Jeff Norcott investigates Britain's higher education sector to discover if doing a degree is still worth it. This is in Is University Really Worth It? George Clark's remarkable renovations continues on Channel 4 at 8pm and we find him in Laceby in Lancashire, where a couple have bought a derelict bakery in the hope that with a lot of work done by themselves, they can transform it into a much-needed accessible and adapted home for the family. Now on to Tuesday the 12th of March 2024. A new eight-part series starts on BBC One at 8pm, Interior Designs with Alan Carr. The comedian starts a series where 10 aspiring designers complete makeover challenges in the hope of achieving their big break in the world of interior design. For the first of many challenges, this week Alan sends the contestants to a former convent in Norfolk where they have to transform nuns' cells into single-bed B&B rooms. 
This is followed on BBC One at 9pm with Stacey Solomon in Sort Your Life Out, where Stacey and her team challenge a family to seriously declutter their family home, which has not been touched since the 1970s. On BBC Two at 7pm, there is a chance to see the hairy bikers go west. This, of course, follows the sad news that Dave Myers passed away last week. In this episode, we see them visit the culinary high spots of the River Severn and the estuary, ending up in the city of Bristol. At 8pm on ITV1, there is a Martin Lewis budget special, which you may find useful and interesting, although this is not audio described. Martin will be looking at the impact of the Chancellor's speech and offering suggestions for our finances. For something completely different, the BBC4 series looking at the Berlin's A Scandalous Family continues at 9pm, with Henry VIII changing the law so that he can annul his marriage to Catherine of Aragon. Now on to Wednesday the 13th of March. We visit the repair shop at 8pm on BBC1, with the team setting out to restore family heirlooms. This week features a ride on wooden motorbike, a well-loved musical instrument and a fragile and faded autograph book that belonged to a suffragette. Also at 8pm on Channel 4, Kirsty Allsop and Phil Spencer are in Surrey to meet a mother and daughter who are torn between staying in the Victorian home or making a move for a fresh start. In Bring on the Drama at 9pm on BBC One, romance is in the air as the aspiring actors face one of Downton Abbey's most famous scenes. It is the contestant's last chance to impress for a place in the showcase final. Also at 9pm on Channel 4, we have part three of the four-part documentary The Rise and Fall of Boris Johnson. Drawing on archive material and interviews with allies and adversaries, the series continues looking at this week, at Johnson becoming Prime Minister in 2019, securing the biggest Conservative majority since Thatcher's 1987 election victory. Now on to Thursday the 14th of March. Secrets of the Museum is on BBC Two at 7pm, looking this time at the V&A's first ever exhibition of handbags and trunks, hoping a red dispatch box that belonged to Sir Winston Churchill will form the centrepiece. At 8pm on BBC One, we have Dragon's Den, where entrepreneurs pitch their ideas to millionaire investors. This is followed on BBC One at 9pm by The Apprentice, with Lord Alan Sugar sending candidates to Budapest in Hungary, with the aim of selling their own boat and vineyard tours. Two teams battle to make it to the next stage of the competition. Also at 9pm on BBC Two, we have Darren McGarvey, The State We Are In, looking at health. The team travels across the UK to meet NHS frontline staff in Belfast. He meets outpatients in A&E who have been waiting for days to be seen. He also visits a Scotland-based GP with a never-ending queue of patients and then looks into private healthcare in Denmark. At 8pm on Channel 4, we visit the doghouse, where a plucky Jack Russell hopes to make a good impression, a cockapoo puppy is a whirlwind, and it's love at first sight for seven-year-old Lottie, but will her family agree? This is followed at 9pm on Channel 4, with the final of the four-part drama, The Rise and Fall of Boris Johnson, moving into 2020 and the Covid pandemic, and leading to his resignation in July 2022. 
Alternatively, on BBC4 at 9pm, is Their Finest, a wartime comedy drama where Karen Cole travels from Wales to London in the thick of the Blitz to work as a typist on propaganda films made by the Ministry of Information. And on to Friday the 15th of March. BBC One is dominated tonight by Comic Relief. At 7pm, Sir Lenny Henry hosts a show live from Media City in Manchester for the last time after his many years of leading this. Highlights include a special trailer for The Traitors, the movie. His co-hosts include Davina McCall, Romish Ranganathan, Maya Jamer and David Tennant. There is also an appearance from Norwich's very own Alan Partridge as Steve Coogan's comic creation updates the hosts with his own charity efforts. Other options are Martin Compton's Norwegian Fling at 9pm on BBC Two. Marin and Phil start this leg at Viking Valley, where they find out that Norse warriors enjoyed a surprisingly relaxed home life when they returned from battle. They travel farther north to Alessund to see how the old ways and the new Norwegian ways are blended. Dawn French is as entertaining as ever in The Secret World of Biscuits on Channel 4 at 8pm, exploring the battle between different brisket brands in a market where four out of five new products fail. Classic drama on ITV1 at 11.15pm with Rocky 2, the boxing sequel written by and starring Sylvester Stallone. Rocky Balboa became famous after going the distance with world heavyweight champion Apollo Creed, but he finds himself with no job and no future and has to risk going back in the ring again, even though it may cost him his sight. I hope you find something of interest this week. TNF Soundings. Well, listeners, that's all for this week. Thanks again to everyone involved in putting this edition together. We also thank the local papers mainly the Standard, the Chronicle and the Leader, and especially their online news articles, which are a useful source for the stories we bring you each week. We all hope you enjoyed this issue and that you all found something of interest in this recording. We'll be here again next week, and as always, we look forward to reading for you once more. Until then, goodbye.